This week on Geek Explained, in our first creator interview of Volume 6, we're sitting down with Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly to chat Captain America Cold War and their new vision for the Guardians of the Galaxy. Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Kazana, and today's episode is our first creator interview of Volume 6. I am joined by Book Club co-host Malcolm Russell Nelson for a discussion with the hive mind, Jackson Lansing, Colin Kelly. We're talking all things Captain America, Cold War, and Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, this week has been really, really cool. Some really cool things have happened, um, and some news has been dropping as well we know uh we got official confirmation this week that uh Layla El Fauli from the Moon Knight TV Disney Plus series is going to be making her way to the comics officially Scarlet Scarab will be debuting in Moon Knight City of the Dead written by David Popose with art by Marcelo Ferreira so that's really cool we got the release of the first, and I'm not sure if it's the only, but who knows, uh, DLC for Horizon Horizon Forbidden West, Burning Shores, really cool stuff. Aloy's coming to my neck of the woods, so I'm really excited about that, really excited to play it. This week, we are seeing the release, finally, of Star Wars Jedi Survivor. As I am speaking to you right now, it is going to be dropping, I believe, this Friday? I think um, as we are as you are listening to this if you're listening to this on time if not hello all you future people uh, really excited about that game cannot wait to pick that up I've been recently doing a replay of the Guardians of the Galaxy video game which is appropriate for today's episode and I'm loving it I'm loving being able to pick new options uh, new dialogue options new uh, character options in that game there's an entire stealth mission that I completely missed because I made a different choice in the game. So I I just freaking it's so cool. I love that game so much. And I'm really excited to play Jedi Survivor. I loved Fallen Order. So I'm very, very excited to check that out. Uh, we got our first look at a couple things. We got our first look at uh, Michael Cudlitz as Lex Luthor in Superman and Lois. Really interested to see what his version of Lex is going to look like. Uh, we also got the first look at Jinx Monsoon as the big bad villain. Uh, the newest and apparently most dangerous villain that the Doctor has ever faced in the upcoming Doctor Who specials for this year. Really excited about that. The Drag Race fan in me is really hyped to see Jinx Monsoon doing so well. We also saw the release of Power Rangers Once and Always on Netflix. It's an hour. It's roughly like just under an hour, I think, and it just made my heart sing. It was the whole reason we dropped last week's episode. Uh, it's a really nice reunion for the characters, for some of the original cast. Uh, I I had a great time with it. If you were a fan of the original series, if you grew up with it, if it was something that you would you know check out on Saturday mornings, you're gonna love this. Is it the best? 
Production design? No. Is some of the acting really stiff and kind of janky? Yeah. But I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I It brought me back to my childhood watching this show. And I, I really, really adored it. It was cheesy in all the right ways. And there's a really great tribute to uh, Trini and Tommy's actors, uh, Toy Trang, as well as Jason David Frank. Um, it's just, man, it, it hit me right, right where it hurts. So uh, I absolutely adored it. It was a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful tribute and a great little reunion piece before we look to the future of what Power Rangers has in store for us next. Now we turn our attention to what brought you here, what brought you to the dance, a wonderful conversation with the hive mind. We also have our latest wildcard weekly review during this mid-season break of The Flash. I'm really excited to, uh, to talk about what we're going to be covering this week so stay tuned for that as well as of course this week's comics countdown where i'll chat you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week stay tuned for that after the jump but for now let's roll right on into the main event the main course the entree if you will as i and malcolm russell nelson sit down with the hive mind and chat all things captain america and guardians of the galaxy No matter how hard you try, you can't stop us now. No matter how hard you try, you can't stop us now. Money, 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 must be funny in a rich man's world. These people got me, got me questioning, where is the Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Hivemind. Its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to go beyond the Neo Year, to take a sentinel of liberty into a cold war, to guard every corner of the galaxy, to boldly go where no one has gone before. Welcome to our latest Crater interview. I am so freaking excited. You have no idea. Um, we've been talking this up. I've, I'm really, really jazzed to have these two on the podcast. I am joined, of course, by Geeksplain Book Club co-host Malcolm Russell Nelson, my, my right-hand man, my knight in shining armor. Hi Exciting. And we are joined by the hive mind themselves. Jackson Lansing, Colin Kelly, welcome to Geeksplain. Welcome. That's the best intro we've ever gotten ever on anything. <laughs> I want that. Right. I, I, want, I want to turn that into a business card somehow that I can like <laughs> play as we walk into rooms. Like I, that was woof, man, Eric, we got to put you on the payroll. That was awesome. 
I, I will blatantly give that to you. Feel free. <laughs> All right. Nope. Wait, wait, nope. Wait a second. Eric, as your lawyer, hang on a second. <laughs> Hold on. They're offering to pay. Hang on. <laughs> we will license that clip and that clip alone, and uh, we will we'll play it before we enter every room. We'll need to get like a little pocket light show, like a little backpack with a little bit of lasers, a tiny fog machine. Yeah, there you go. Effectively, you know, treating this like a WrestleMania intro, and you have just given yes. us... Uh, you have just given us the juice. Oh, so yeah. Thank you. Cool. Yes. I feel free to use this for pyro. Feel free to put this on, <laughs> on whatever WrestleMania plans we have. Um, backlash <laughs> is coming up. Let's do some backlash. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm excited to have y'all on here. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's, it's, it's a pleasure. We we've been, we've been talking both of you up on the podcast for a long time. So it's, yeah. hey, we, it's awesome. We, we, we really appreciate that. Um, you know, it's a, it's not, not to start this out by immediately griping about our, our, our terrible career struggles while we're having like a really good week, but it is actually a really interesting thing for us um, because comics is a, uh, is such a solo medium in terms of like the way that people think of it. I, I often, yeah. you, know, you, you relate it to like pop stars and you're like, Oh, you know, it's it. I'm reading the Ewing run or I'm reading the Bendis run or I'm reading the, you know, McKay run. And you like think about them as like, as like individuals. Right. Uh, even though and, like, you should be saying the artist too, but like whatever, a lot of, of people, course, refer to mm-hmm. the writer and that just becomes how they deal with it and so you hear these these names and from the get-go colin and i were like what if we made you say twice as many names on every single book uh and it was and it was like an automatic uh like kneecapping to our ability to like be talked about like i think it took people a lot it took them longer to get on us as like, because we've been around for for a while, I think it took yeah. people a little bit of time to figure out that we were an entity and that like you could refer to us as a hive mind and like all that stuff. Like those were all yeah. be branding exercises that we did just to get people used to the idea that it didn't have to be one writer. One or the other. Often they'd be like, they've paired these two writers, and it's like they didn't pair anything. <laughs> <laughs> we paired this. <laughs> well, and it's cool too because like I feel like the first time that I really like got into your stuff, like I was like, wait, they call themselves the hive mind. This is the coolest thing. And like you said, like it's a branding thing. And like, it, it feels like, Oh, this is, this is, you know, you're talking about like pop stars. It's like, these are the Beatles. This isn't just like, we're not allowed to make that comparison because (laughs) it makes us sound like assholes. But on the flip side, (laughs) (laughs) the the version that I, we, that is, we were talking about appropriation earlier. This will this will go over really well. <laughs> this is gonna go great. <laughs> early in our early in our career, we like really early, like when we were doing Hacktivist and Joyride, and we were first trying to figure out how to do this. We were like, yeah. how do we brand ourselves? Because people really don't know how to deal with two names on the front of a comic that are both writers all the time. And we we're like, mm-hmm. do we call do we do we put Hive Mind at the front of all the books? Do we you know, do we like explain who we are in the covers? But that means that like our names are never on the covers of our books, and that feels bad for both. Yeah, yeah. just getting started. And um, so the the uh, we were on our way to Baltimore Comic Con. I remember, and we were like, "How are we going to do this?" And I don't know which one of us was like, "We should just think of it like Outcast. Like people know, nice. <laughs> <laughs> know it's Big Boy, and like they know." what's up and, and you listen to their solo records and then you hear an outcast thing, you know, it's outcast thing, but you think like, Oh, that's not for 2000 and big boy album. Like, so we can just do that. 
And then, which got us into the whole conversation of which one of us was the Andre 3000, which one of us was. I was just about to ask, who's who's the speaker box and who's the love below? Like, so, what, what's going on? So, traditionally, uh, back then, uh, I think the idea was I was speaker box and Colin was love below because Colin used to dress huh. a lot flyer than me. And uh, <laughs> I'm, an absolute, I'm an absolute clothes horse. I love patterns. I love colors. And like, I was just at the absolute most outlandish outfits. Okay. Uh, and Jack You're going is, to Dan Flashes. Oh, yes. 100%. You get the most complicated patterns. We, we kind of flipped that. Now I only wear Dan Flashes. This is, I'm, I'm wearing like a very like chill t-shirt right now, but this is actually rare for me. Pretty much everything I wear is Hawaiian shirts with too many patterns. So who the fuck yeah. that is? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we broke out of the uh, out of the outcast binary uh by uh both of us just looking fly as hell now so i don't know is there like andre 3000 andre 3000 it's like a, it's like andre 3000 <laughs> now like just rolling out fuck that would be a hell of a fucking album that would be wild <laughs> like that cool animated show where he taught a bunch of kids how to like all the Andre class of 3000 yes yeah 3000 yeah, yeah. Basically. no i fuck with class of 3000 that's awesome hell yeah no it just means that you guys are guardians now exactly. you're guardians of the galaxy exactly that's that's all it is you got style you got flair and you're really rocket that's, that's, that's it what's up. come by a convention on day three and tell us that we still have style and flair <laughs> Hey, wait, no, 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 hold on a second. Because at WonderCon, I, I talked about you were wearing a fly jacket. I remember we talked about this. It was what is this jacket? I want to see it. It's the coolest. <laughs> it was like, it was very, um, I can't even describe it. It was a, it it's, was, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a wave and tiger pattern yes! uh, unisex bomber jacket that I got from my, cool. uh, one of my favorite local uh, uh, bespoke uh, design. Places. Cool. Dope as hell. Yep. It looks good. It's real but I was dead on the inside, Eric. I was dead on oh, the Oh, got inside. it, got it, got it. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll make sure to look for that next time. <laughs> Listen, we dress up corpses when we put them in coffins. I mean, Ooh. you know, you could be dead on the inside and still look good on the outside. You guys are giving us some bomb lines today. <laughs> I know. All right, you can have that. For sure. it's, it's a good Western line. And uh, I'm, I'm oh, like, boy, is it? That is a good. Oh, please take it. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'd be honored. <laughs> and we are getting into some westerns for sure i I, as we're recording this the uh the first chapters of both cold war and guardians of the galaxy just dropped we are hyped we've been talking about this all week yeah let's let's dig into this because we we did our traditional thing where we said we're not gonna prepare a ton of questions and then we prepared a ton of questions (laughs) eric literally sent me like the file and he was thinking like oh it's only like malcolm's just gonna add a few and then i added a page and a half (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we're like oh we're gonna write this out and beat in, in like as like a beat sheet it'll be like a couple of pages and then yeah and then we do it and it's like an 11 page document and we're like oh, <laughs> and we do, we're like we, we have to explain everything and you're like, All right. <laughs> well, what i will say is you guys better tr- tr- choose your best questions uh because we are talkers so you if you got yourself 40 questions i, I guarantee you we're gonna get to about 15 so choose well Oh, I love knowing that. Okay. That's <laughs> a Raiders situation. You gotta, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's not Raiders. That's Temple. Uh, is that Temple? Is Choose Wisely's Last Crusade, right? 
The, with all the I don't. Yes. 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 yes, yes, yes. yes. Sorry. <laughs> No, I, I was going to say, or you're going to talk about Malcolm's favorite Indiana Jones movie. The Temple of Doom. I am the I uh, I hate oh, Temple of oh. Doom so much. <laughs> the Crystal Skull, your favorite movie. You know what? I think most of that movie is pretty solid. I think it loses itself in the end. <laughs> I, I have, I've not watched it since theaters. Uh, I I also haven't watched it since 2008. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to watch it before Dial just to like get my yeah for sure. Just for the ear holes of the listeners, uh, so you have it in your head straight. Uh, this is Colin Kelly. I'm this voice. And this is Jackson Lansing. This is this voice. Sorry that the voices sound very similar, but <laughs> that's audio, baby. Yeah, I expected <laughs> you guys to sound like a like the Borg, you know, since yeah. you're the hive mind. Like, I thought, you know, you would have one voice, you know. <laughs> when you not even, like, filter across both. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, Eric will do that in post. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got it. I got it. Uh, but yeah let's get let's get into this since we've only got 15 questions the top 15 we got to do this (laughs) Um, oh man (laughs) first things first i really want to get into cap we have been i remember when we were first you know getting the inkling of like dude they're going to be doing cap and it's going to be incredible and they're going to be doing this book don't you is going to be doing the sam book we were bouncing ideas back and forth we're like this is the coolest thing yeah, because both of you bring such a passion and such a different perspective to characters who have had very lengthy and very like iconic runs and ma- and you make them iconic in your own way. So I want to ask you, how were each of you introduced to Cap? And do you have like a favorite run or a favorite uh, story? <sighs> Yeah, I mean, for me, my introduction was um, kind of a little silly, <laughs> kind of. Um, I was uh, I was a I was a Cub Scout uh, in elementary school, and I wanted to juice my Scholastic book sales. Right, you do like the <laughs> and you kind of sell, and the more you sell, you you get more you know points. And I was like, well, shit, I'm not selling anything, so I better sell to myself. And the Scholastic Book Fair options had comic books. And uh, you could uh, pick them up. And so I was like, I'm going to check out this Captain America. I've heard that he's the son of Liberty. Um, And so I started getting it. And it was right after Cap Wolf. Uh, Hell yeah. uh, You know, I I believe it was Grunwald's run. And uh, he was coming right in with this Captain America losing a wild time to start Captain America because he was losing his superpowers. Uh, and I got to kind of come in with this hero who was once great and was now dealing with the idea of being a mortal man and kind of cra- grappling with all of that stuff. So I actually got to come in on Cap, on Steve, being maybe his most vulnerable. Um, he had been in a bunch of decades and discovering that this hero, this very strong, this very, you know, I'm growing up kind of had a lack of a powerful male role models. So here it was like looking at this very powerful symbol of America and seeing his weakness and seeing his tragedy was really formative, uh, formative for me. Uh, and then everyone will love this because every single issue was folded in half and stuffed in my mailbox. Ooh. Ooh. Yum, yum. Nice. Love that. Delicious. Um, but yeah, that, that was, was my answer to cap. Uh, whereas I was, uh, I was a Spider-Man kid growing up and I pretty much only read Spider-Man um, and, and, and some Valiant books that I like could like find. Cause I thought that they were like edgy. So I was like, yep. I was like, I was like reading Harbinger and I was reading Spider-Man and that was really all I was reading when I was a kid. And then I stopped reading comics for almost a decade. 
um, wow. between a- the age of like 10 and the age of like 20. And around, I guess around like 16, 17, I started to rediscover comics um, through, uh, mostly through Wildstorm. Uh, I, I got, I got really into like, um, I got really into like the authority and planetary and, and a lot of that. And I, that sort of re-sparked my interest in comics. And then I fell deep down a Batman-shaped rabbit hole, um, which got me into a deep X-Men-shaped rabbit hole which then got me into Avengers around the time that Bendis was picking up the characters. I think I really got cool. into Avengers on Avengers Disassembled. Um, that was like, I, I, I really mm. Marvel Comics yep. pretty late. Um, if it wasn't Spider-Man, right? I'd read Spider-Man for a long time. I'd read Superman for a long time. And, and I'd read certain other things, but like really had not read a lot um, of like the core Avengers. And what I discovered much to my surprise as someone who was raised by like very liberal hippie anti-war activist kind of people was that um captain america really spoke to me that that it that maybe it was because i also had kind of like a complicated relationship with with masculine role models in my life we both have a complicated relationship with our dads if you want to know more about that read king the conqueror it's just <laughs> literally all yep. that. Uh, yeah all right and, uh, all right that makes sense <laughs> like, uh and we we're like hey you know we we have a um uh I sort of found myself really invested in the idea of a character who could come into any scenario and sort of inherently have the moral high ground, not because he was American. Um, That's just sort of where he was taking his confidence from, but because he was a good, just a really good man who made considered interesting and good decisions. And when he found himself on the, on the opposite side of an issue from people who were also good people, he had to really um, plant his feet, you know, like a tree and not move. Right. That JMS speech. Right. Like, I, I, I really found that. And that's the era that I was in. I was reading his Thor run. I was with, you know, from yeah. where that comes from. And, and I was reading um, the uh, Spider-Man from which that came. And I was reading, uh, you know, so that was, I wasn't really reading a lot of Captain America books. I was reading books, a lot of books, uh, young Avengers, it's a huge yeah. yep. Heinberg Young Avengers is like uh, we became friends by going to the comic shop together in college. So that was the book we were both picking up and like arguing about. Again, it's cool. like, hell it's yeah, so cool. Love for hell yeah. Conqueror. We have a deep love for Patriot. We have a deep love like uh, some, a lot of these characters have like yes. real, some real like like hooks in us and have since day one. So I got really into Cap that way, and then um, I picked up. My first cap run was uh, the Brubaker uh, run. I, I started at the very beginning of Brews, and I was reading it week to week. Um, and so I, so Bucky Barnes was sort of core um, to yeah. my introduction to Cap. I really didn't know Cap during the period where Bucky was dead. I became a Captain America fan out of the relationship that he had, this very complicated masculine friendship, which I would later learn is like, the main thing I'm interested in writing about for obvious reasons. Um, <laughs> uh, and so I was like, I really got into it there. And then we, um, and, and, you know, Colin was reading at the same time. So again, it became just a, a point of our friendship and our, our uh, in, in really early creative collaboration in college, which was just yeah. us. We didn't know we were creatively collaborating. We were just eating pizza and arguing about comic books. Right. But that was, what we were doing is we were we were warming up the hive mind engine that would eventually like or building the first parts of it that would eventually become um our our career so it's a uh 
So Cap's like been there from the start, but he was yeah. always one of the characters who genuinely I was kind of intimidated by. I was like, I don't know how you'd write this character. Oh, interesting. Oh, 100%. I, would, I would much ease I the first Marvel like quote unquote fanfic, like I wrote like a couple of scripts just to like see what it would be like to write Marvel back in college. And yeah. um, it was uh it was all like Reed Richards stuff. Cause I really because uh, hell yeah, I really felt a kinship with Reed Richards. I am also very annoyed by people a lot, and <laughs> perceive myself often wrongly as the smartest person in a room. And like, he really like hits a lot of my like more like arrogant parts of me. And I was like, oh, I can really fuck with this. Like, I really like <laughs> a whole book about Reed trying to like learn the lessons of that. Um, yeah. that I can access Tony Stark I can access like those things all felt like stuff that I could really just like speak Cap was like man I'm scared to write that character I don't know how we would do it <laughs> and the minute, the minute we sat down with Alana Smith the first time we ever sat down at Marvel it was the only editor at Marvel who would meet with us was Alana and she sat down with us and within 10 minutes of meeting us she was like you know I think you guys would be really good Steve boys we were, we were like Steve boys. <laughs> we were like Steve boys, like Rogers. She's like, yeah. I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely did not even seem some like something on our radar. You know, we are yeah. we are misanthropes. We are, but we're also like party dudes. We are, you know, we love we love neon rainbow dance parties and we love ripping people's hearts out and leaving it bloody on the floor so when you're like right about captain america it's like dude you're you missed the mark <laughs> <laughs> i think the thing about steve is that steve is aspirational right steve makes you want to be the kind of person who can tell a steve rogers story because yes. steve rogers built brings out the best in all of us so the 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 statement you seem like Steve boys actually I think probably pushed us to become Steve boys. Um, like Alana has been an absolute champion and hero for us since the start, and I think I honestly think writing Steve Rogers has made us in a lot of ways look at ourselves and think about what being better really means. Mm -hmm. um, in a way that I think you know in high in college. That Reed Richards, like Reed Richards is going to get better, but like, really, he is never going to learn his life. <laughs> no, no, that's the it point of that, that character. character. He does sure. the character yeah. stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and it's interesting. Uh, I, I don't think I've talked about this on a podcast ever, but um, I, I do think it's interesting given that context. When we got the book, which we didn't think we were going to get, right? It was a pitch off. Like, we, you know, like, it was very much like when they sent us the email Ooh. to pitch it, it was off the strength of Tang the Conqueror. And they were like, look, like you did a really good job on Kang. That book sold. Um, people got it. Tom liked it. I liked it. Can we, you know, so we want to give you guys a shot at pitching on Captain America. But no, you're probably not going to get this job because you're, you're brand new to the company. And this is a flagship title. So, like, if you're going to get this, you're going to get it because your, your pitch is really good. But, like, probably that's not going to happen. So, like, but it'll show everybody what you want. <laughs> <laughs> And so we were like, we've had this part I've talked about, but like we, so we just went for broke, right? We pitched the Outer Circle, we pitched the Century Games, yeah. we pitched the Bucky Barnes plan, we pitched everything that we've done in our very first pitch. We were like, here's the whole thing. Wow. Because we'd, we'd been holding on to it for a long time. We've been kind of baking it in the background as a Winter Soldier pitch. And we were like, you know what? Screw it. Let's do it as a Captain America pitch um, and, and, and lean into what we can do with Bucky. And it was because of that we got the book. And when we got the book, 
I had about three months of intermittent panic attacks um, that my wife no. was like, had like a front row seat for. And, and, and because she was there and, ha- and kept being like, what's going on with you? Like, why are you freaking out all the time? And eventually I, 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 I was able to verbalize it and be like, it's because Steve Rogers is over my shoulder. And I don't yeah. think I'm good enough to write this guy. Like, I genuinely think that I'm not a good enough person to write this and feel like I'm like, I could look a kid in the eye and be like, I can stand behind all of this, which is what I, as a kid would want from the person writing the Captain America. And I was like, man, I really got to like, you have to come correct with this character. And there was part of me that felt like me as a person wasn't up to it. Not like me as a writer. And it took a while to understand that that was like, okay. Right. That like, that's what Steve Rogers is that everybody who encounters Steve Rogers in the fiction has that, feeling of being like man this guy wants me to be perfect and thinks that i can be and, and you i don't, don't want to let him down be. that really yeah. that, that messes with me that's the problem that sharon carter's having that's the problem yeah, that yeah. that's that's the problem that every person who encounters i think that's why red skull hates him right like it's why, <laughs> it's why yeah. people have a problem with steve rogers and why yeah. he has complicated relationships it's certainly why tony stark has a complicated it's why tony hates yes. him <laughs> <laughs> and i was like shit all right i I just, I just got to deal with it the same way that everybody in the Marvel universe has to deal with it. And that became a good backbone for a story. Well, and I think it's, it's interesting having all that in context, because like, first of all, like shout out to our partners who help us like get through like episodes like that. Cause my, my partners absolutely gotten me through several panic attacks where it's just having that support is a very important but yeah, also yeah, like, like a thousand percent the yeah, two of you being the the new like helmers of this with your background first of all we love that because we also met when i was in college malcolm and i yeah and we got together arguing about captain america comics yeah but like, <laughs> it is foundational to our friendship it's foundational like, to our friendship we're, we're both big steve boys also we're gonna get shirts that say steve boys we need to get steve boys that, now that yeah. we know that's a thing now that that's we know that's a thing, thing that's happening I, and we we got you <laughs> but but i love that what made you both so right for this is because you were introduced to the character in times of transition and in times of hardship like it's very easy to be introduced to a character you know through the like old cartoon or like his appearances in like spider-man the animated series where it's just like he is the paragon of virtue but in the in the idea that colin you were introduced to him at his lowest point post cap wolf and Jackson oh. being introduced to him, not just through Avengers disassembled, which I think is hilarious as a jumping on point for so many people. Cause there are so many people I, I that, I've met, that I've talked to who are like, yeah, I jumped onto Avengers for disassembled. And it's like, as yep. a concept, like in retrospect, that sounds incredible. Yeah, it, but, it, it was it was great. I didn't know it was great. Parts <laughs> what it was. So when he explained yeah. it on page three, I was like, "All right, who is this? Yeah. That's his deal, I guess." Yeah, yeah. he's the but guy. Yeah, also, you being introduced to the character through that Brubaker run again in such a big status quo change makes both of you uniquely equipped to put Steve through those kind of big changes because you were introduced to him on those big swings. 
I think, I think also, that's awesome. Thanks, man. I, I mean, I, I think it's also probably um, looking at what we've been doing the last couple of years and figuring out where we're really comfortable. Because I do think we've taken really big strides as a as a writing duo. Like we've been doing this for over a decade, but I think that the last few years our work has has sort of markedly gotten better. And I think part of that is because we figured we figured that out and you can't really figure that yeah. out until you have the opportunity to 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 do it like it feel it's it's sort of a chicken and the egg thing like unless you have the opportunity to start these characters fresh and do something interesting you never think about like what it would be like to do that because that's like hubris um but the idea that when we came on to batman beyond it was how do we start this fresh how do i get yes. new people onto this change the status quo and make something interesting we come on to guardians how do we start this fresh how do we get new people on here and make this interesting without disregarding everything that came before as yeah. fans of the al Ewing run, as fans of like the bendis run and the donnie run i'm not trying to mess up up that continuity but i do need to invite new people onto this run right um like steve was the same way um, a lot of, you know, there, there's some other stuff we can't talk about yet that's the same way. Star Trek is certainly the same way. Um, yeah. It's like, how do we come in on something that has a long history and without relying on that history, bring you new stories? And and so in a lot of ways, I think those runs like Disassembled, like um, Winter Soldier, like uh, the Exoskeleton run um, that Grunwald did. Yeah, uh, those are runs that, fundamentally tell you okay it's okay to jump on here because yeah. the status quo has shifted in such a way that you're going to yeah. be on board from the quote-unquote beginning of the story because of the status quo shift and i think those are like what um ryan north is doing on fantastic four right now is i think a really good yes example. like he comes in and immediately it's like new tone new feel new context and we're not even going to tell you all the context right away we're going to get you to the context as we go but right now right, we yeah. just live in this new tone and figure it out something we're doing in guardian certainly um, Absolutely, and uh, I think once we figured out that we really like doing that, uh, that that actually gives us a lot of freedom to play and make uh, and make those swings. You start to look back and figure out that most of your favorite runs all did that too, and you're like, yeah. oh, yeah. I learned it from somewhere. Uh, <laughs> yeah, for sure. This, this was a Bendis trick that I stole. Oh, all right, I guess. <laughs> was well, was that like encouraged by Marvel? Because thinking about it, like that's where a lot of Marvel books are right now. Like you mentioned, you know, Fantastic Four, but also Zeb Wells on Amazing Spider-Man is kind of the same thing. You know, like it's it seems very much like that's kind of where Marvel books are right now, and I kind of love that. Like that that's pretty awesome. Well, and they're you know Marvel. We all we all know how comic books work. Like a number one sells, right? You right. want to be a number one. But I think of the tricky thing is, especially like working through the early aughts or you know the last decade or so. Slapping a new number one on There's what would just be a 13, right? Like, right. was a real dirty trick that pretty much all the publishers were pulling. So I think you're right, though. Lately, um, we're seeing a lot of really cool, like, a lot of the publishers are willing to take that chance and kind of resetting the table uh, yeah. and giving those people that onboarding chance. Um, because we got to get people into the shops, baby. Like, there's, we got to get people reading comics. There's also, and, 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 and there is support, I think, within the company in a way that is is really heartening. Like, the the hope on any pitch now is, can I get a new reader on this book? And that's awesome. Mm. That's what you want. Um, and, and for a long time, that was not the objective. The objective right. was, how do we get the old heads? And I love that. And you can. And I think, I, ideally, we're, we're showing that. Um, mm -hmm. That you can get both. But... 
Um, and I think there's people who are amazing at getting both. I think Jed McKay is great at getting both. For instance, I think it's actually it's like totally yeah. superpower is like he is an he, he like has the mind of an old head and the mind of a young like buck, and he's he's doing both simultaneously. So his Moon Knight run is just like you know yeah I can't wait yeah. to see what he's doing on Avengers. It's awesome. I'm so excited. But like that's yeah. the and it, because it feels it almost feels like an old like Kurt Busiek like like epic, yes. epic Avengers. Yeah. And like yes. I think that's it's a really exciting time to be telling stories at Marvel because there is a, and DC, frankly, um, because there is a, a real insistence on um, pushing that envelope in building new stuff in not being afraid to break the toys because the toys are resilient and they will not break. Um, it's one yeah, of the yeah. things we keep learning from Tom Brevoort is every time we come in and we're, like, <laughs> we're going to break the toy, Tom Brevoort's like, that's going to stay broken for five years and then it's going to repair itself. So how do you make sure that those five years are impactful and good and yeah, matter while and that you're not just yanking somebody's chain for five years before we revert you know because yeah. it's comics and it will it will snap back <laughs> like yeah. right so in some way steve rogers will be captain america you can kill him he'll come back like yeah you are, you are not going to make fundamental seismic change in the way that you sometimes think you will but you can in the short term use that to explore story, which is really all any of us are trying to do. We're not trying to be historians. We're trying to be storytellers, right? Yeah. Build story, not history. So that's, it's a, um, yeah. But I think what's really cool in that you've tapped into when you were saying about how some of the great like runs and the great like stories that we've got both bring in new readers and also kind of satisfy the old heads is a respect for the continuity. Like both of you are such big, like continuity guys. And I love that because like, yeah, You'll reference stuff from previous runs. You'll reference stuff from other things and also give new context so that new readers don't feel lost and they're learning it at the same time as the old heads. You mentioned it before. The Outer Circle. The concept of the Outer Circle in the century is wild to me and we were you know we were talking about it when the first couple issues of that Steve Rogers book came out or like they're doing national treasure. This is the most incredible yeah. <laughs> concept for Captain America, and I love yeah. this. It's so, Cap versus the Illuminati. Exactly, <laughs> it's genius. You know, so, Marvel, Marvel has an Illuminati. Right? Has an Illuminati. It, yeah, exactly. This is like the real Illuminati. You know, uh, you know, know. He's coming and being like, okay, so Cap has fought the Secret Empire twice. Yeah, he's fought yeah. the Illuminati. He's fought Hydra. He's fought a lot of secret organizations. Why is the Outer Circle like different? Why do they matter? What's interesting about them? How do we differentiate them? How do we make sure that these, this doesn't feel like another secret agency retread? And I, and I know yeah. people at first glance are like, ugh, it's another secret agency. And I hope that by now we've sort of shown like it's not. It, it's, no, it's yeah. it's his court of owls. It's, 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 it's much more personal and built out. Yeah. What were you saying? It's his court of owls. It's his court of owls. Precisely. Yeah. Yes. Like, yeah. So what what was what was the inspiration behind that? Because we we have bandied ideas back and forth on like yeah. what like went into building out this concept of the outer circle in the centuries game. Because even with like a concept like the Court of Owls, making like saying, okay, it's the Court of Owls, but it's only five people and they've basically been doing this thing for a, a century now. For a century, like what yeah. what was the the concept behind that? Like I'm, I'm really curious because it recontextualizes everything that Steve's done, everything that Bucky's done, and everything they've done throughout all of their adventures. Honestly, like, the whole Marvel been... universe, yeah. Right. Ideally, the century, right? Um, well, I mean, yeah. It, yeah, it started with that shield over your shoulder. It really, genuinely started from the symbol. Um, 
Colin and I were talking about it was it was the first time we'd ever been invited to pitch at Marvel, and we were talking about what it would look like to do something with with Bucky or Steve, and how to challenge him in a way that felt unique and interesting and personal, and something that would hurt, but would also have like longer ranging ramifications. And uh, we just started looking at the shield and saying if what we've always assumed there's a there's a core assumption which is I, we love to find those like core assumptions and then like yeah. them, right the core assumption of batman beyond is batman's there like, like bruce wayne is there great yeah kill bruce wayne on page two let's let's undercut the core assumption and let's figure it out um yeah. you know the core assumption the guardians are a found family who can who will always have each other's back <laughs> yeah not so much <laughs> fundamentally broken with their with the with the heart of the team chasing them down across the galaxy right um like with this it was like there's a fundamental assumption at the core of steve rogers which is that symbol means america but i know the american flag that's not the american flag the american flag has red white and blue in it it has a star and a stripe in it but it's not that star and it's not those stripes and it's not a circle what is that symbol what does it mean? Why are there three stripes? Why is there a star? Why are there those colors? What is that? And once we started talking about that, it really started to open up this conversation about um, if you were to map the world, it was mostly just like a thought exercise. If you were yeah. to map the world, and we're game designers, both of us, right? Colin designed a game called oh, yeah. of the Earth. I designed a game called Vast. Um, Colin's actually designed a lot more games than, than I have, um, but we we're we're both very interested in game design uh, and, and in systems design. Well, I think the the outer circle, like, yeah, kind of building off the shield, we just the simple thought exercise of what could this mean as we started kind of taking that apart and looking at what those individual circles and stars might, you know, lock into. And obviously we're like, well, if there's one circle kind of one ring style, if there's one circle surrounding everything, what are the circles inside that it controls? And then obviously what are those star points? You know, we were looking yeah. at that star with that star and then we realized, well, it's not a star, it's five diamonds. And that kind of really changed the game for us. There's this, and there's this one panel from like literally from Bucky's, like one of his first appearances when he first gets his uniform. It's, it's, back it's, in, the- in, uh, it's in uh, Captain. It's in the Bucky Captain America and Bucky number one by Brubaker and yes, the artist. But oh, um, uh, was that Frank of V? It no. Yeah, it might have been Frank of V. Yeah. And on his little belt, Sammy. is a is a star. It's it's a star. Sammy, that's it. Right. Star. And we were like, it's fucking there, man. And suddenly it all started to open all up. Time, yeah. And then we were like, well, what the what does that mean? And that's when the idea for the century game came up. Um, we are history not we're we're history nerds as much as we are continuity nerds, right? What's history except the hit the, the continuity, continuity of life? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we started to look into that and in, towards the question of how are these guys not the Illuminati we started playing with the idea of, well, who's actually, you know, who's actually pulling the strings of the world? Um, not necessarily, you know, they're not necessarily putting their fingers directly in it, but pushing and influencing. Um, because we've all seen kind of the rise of, not only the rise of fascism, but the rise of, you know, Plutarchs and oligarchs and all these people who are pulling the strings so far above our level, purely for their own best interest, right? They don't need to take over the world. They own it already. Well, and that so the- 
and, and that I think is the big the, the big wrinkle. That's what makes them different than the Court of Owls. If we were just like, hey, it's Batman's Court of Owls, I, I would I would feel like we'd um, done Scott Snyder a disservice. We would have done ourselves a disservice. Um, no, right. yeah, for sure. This had to be different. So if yeah. we're, so because we didn't start by being like, what if it was? What if there was a Court of Owls? That came right, of course. Around the other side, <laughs> we started by being like, what does the shield mean? And then like we came to shoot the outer circle of the shield, right? The name came from the, we didn't come in with, oh, we have the outer circle. We came in with, we want to look at the shield. And then when looking at it, we were like, well, there is a, there's a ring around it. So initially they were called the outer ring. And then we changed mm. it to the circle. Like we, as we built this stuff, mostly because it was a nice, like uh, inverse of inner Play circle. Play on the inner circle. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's like... But the thing that was interesting uh, and made them different than the Court of Owls is that they weren't an organization working together. Yeah. When you think about the right. Owls or you think about the yeah. Illuminati or you think about Eyes Wide Shut, like you think about like any like evil <laughs> with like masks, it's, they're always like on a balcony, it's Spectre. They're all like on yeah. a balcony in masks looking at one another being like, our great plan is in fruition. Here are the yeah. reports of how all of us are doing well. And we were like, what if instead it was what the world actually is, which is a bunch of people with money and power trying to get more money and power yeah. over one another. Bill yeah. Gates is not in a cabal with Elon Musk. Those two guys are in a pissing contest. So yeah. why not express that pissing contest properly within the context of the Marvel Universe and try to try to um, lay bare the, the, the court injustice of our sort of like billionaire dominated society and try to have cap get put up against that and once we sort of figured out we're like okay that's something that steve would hate that's something the fans can understand it's political so it lets you do the thing that steve rogers needs to be which is that at some point needs to be reflective of america but we didn't want to do the road trip across america because ta-nehisi coates just did that and Chris, right. chris cantwell just did that and those are two incredible writers who we are not going to outbeat in that department we need to do something different yeah. we need to, to load ourselves for a different kind of bear and so that was um that was where that came from it was like what if we treated this like a game and then what's so fun about that is once we figured that out it was like okay well then there can't be too many of them so then why five because there's five star points five star points. Star points. so then you're like okay well then if there's five star points and there should be five members of the outer circle it's a nice round simple thing and then we literally had a conversation initially we left it at that and then marvel came back uh, in the pitch and then marvel came back and said uh Take this eight-page document, make it 20, and tell us the whole thing. Tell us every person in the game. Tell us what they're fighting for. Tell us the history of this. Like, tell us everything so we know this this works. But basically, Tom Brevoort came in and was like, I have 75 questions. And we were like, great. <laughs> <laughs> also, also, it was like, prove it. Hey, young, hey, young, hey, boys. Hey, Steve. Yeah. Boys. Hey, boys. <laughs> can you be Steve men? Yeah. Can you be Steve, Steve men? men? And we were like, Fucking let's go. And, and, and uh, we literally sat there and worked it out in a day. God, that's so cool. That's awesome. We were like, that rules. We were, like, <laughs> we were like, what are these five points? What do they, what, what do they look like? Who, what are the five things that hold up our world? And we were like, yeah. well, it's money and it's power. It's power. And it's technology and it's culture. And then we were kind of sitting there and it was like, all right, what else? And everything else that we came up with, like military, that fits under power. Uh, okay, and kind of technology. And, like, military's not a part of the Outer Circle. It's a tool of the Outer Circle. Like, yeah. military is that blue 
ring in the side, or maybe it's like the red ring in the middle. Like we were like figuring out like where does the military sit? <laughs> this thing sit? And, um, yeah. and I and uh, one of us was like, it's it's probably revolution, but that's on the other side of this coin right? That you have money, power, culture, technology, they're all going to be moving to sort of like keep something stable. And then every once in a while, revolution comes in and overturns that bucket and makes yes. it hard for everybody. And then everybody has to like figure out how to adapt to that. And then revolution comes in and overthrows it and everybody has to adapt to that. And that's kind of the history of the 20th century is these yeah. elements all working together in some kind of concert with money and power generally winning out over right. culture and, and tech. And then the revolution coming in and messing with it. And once we figured that out, we realized there was an awesome dramatic context because now you had a block of four players who were playing a game with very little stakes and one player who was playing a game with all the stakes. Uh, a player who was actually fighting for the people yeah. inside of this horrible system. And that was like really exciting because that's when we started to say, all right, what if that was Bucky? And yes. once we figured out, like, what if that I was the idea of that. And we were like, I remember when we did it, we were like, they'll never let us do this. But let's put it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I love the concept of Bucky as a character being used so often yeah. as a tool or as a, you know, a plot device. Being now the person who gets to drive the narrative. Yeah. yeah. And it it's really, it's... It reminds me of like horror games that we've gotten recently, Dead by Daylight, Friday the 13th, where it's like you've got these four characters, sometimes three, who are trying to like work in concert to get to a goal. And then one person who's just kind of trying to wipe them out the entire time. Yeah. And then the game ends, they start over again. It's it's such a cool idea for that. And again, completely unique, completely like original. We've never seen something like that before. And it sets them apart. It sets them aside. And on top of that, it gives me the feeling, I don't know if you're, you're both big, you know, video game guys. We are playing big guys. I, I remember first getting into like this outer circle thing and it gave me the same feeling as playing, you know, the first couple of Assassin's Creed games where it's like, all of this historical context, all of these, Malcolm mentioned to me earlier, all these historical figures who are now part of this game. Mm -hmm. And Malcolm, you you were bringing up to me the idea that like all these, anybody could be part of this game now. Yeah, like like it, that's so that's the interesting thing with tying it with like the real world and like actual historical figures. Um, I'm blanking on his name, but he is the the previous revolution. Real uh, principle. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Princip. Like using Princip as like an actual character in this is so interesting. <laughs> like what, what brings you to doing that? Like, yeah, that was, a, that was an early part of it. He, he's a, he's a sort of private obsession of both of ours. Cause he's just a really interesting figure. Hey, Buffy the dog has arrived. Oh, baby. child. <laughs> Sorry. I love dogs. Sorry. <laughs> We were really psyched about um, about getting him in there. We didn't want to make them all historical figures because that felt cheap. Right. That's yeah, for sure. Because we wanted to, and not Marvel. Like that, that wouldn't you know exactly. But it felt like that was a cool scenario. And then we were able to build in historical figures. So now, like the power is Wolf Fortinov, right? Who Fortinov yeah. has been? The Fortinovs are a Marvel thing. We've never met yeah. Wolf. Wolf's new. But the Fortinovs are the previous royal family before Doom and Latveria. So the idea is mm -hmm. great. We can tie some a little bit of Marvel European history to that. That'll be fun. Yeah. Um, 
you know, Etienne, the, the money is a, is a total construct. He's brand new. Uh, and we wanted to let him be brand new. Yeah. And then the machine, um, we had a really interesting thing because we're in, it was developing, you know, like um, interstellar Wakanda was just dropping. And like yeah. the idea of the Wakandans having this incredibly advanced society and this incredibly advanced technological society kind of fell right in line with what we wanted to do with machine. Um, so kind of pulling her out of that culture was really interesting. And also, you know, like finding the villainous edge to her. And she's not yeah. that she's a villain, not that any of them are villains. Right. No, are for sure. Selfish, and they are myopic. She's um, the scariest. Yeah. She's the fucking scariest, my guy. <laughs> she's the fucking scariest. <laughs> uh, well, and 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 I and I think that's it's it's uh I, I was really excited that we got to we've been able to go as far as, as we have with her and, and we have some really cool stuff coming up with her as well. Cause I, I think she's one of those, she's one of those characters who she's also the one who has the, like the most personal edge into this, because as we've now like established within the book, her son, her is son, the yes. guy who put the symbol on the shield to try to understand yeah. all this, like it's her uh, family drama that actually like set a lot of that kicked us off. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but she is also the one who's the most removed from her humanity at this point. So the idea that any of that means anything to her is like almost off the table. Like we we're, we're, we want you to be asking that question: Is she the machine? Is Agboje the machine, or is the machine just like wearing an Agboje face? Part of the she- yeah. Right? I, 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 yeah. When you see her in 1920, she's got this little drone yes. right over her shoulder, and when you see her in 2020. She's got a giant, the big apparatus. She's yeah, he's the size of the drone, and that's yeah. so I was like, that's a. I really love that we've been able to 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 run that out because that was one of our more like esoteric concepts when we started. We I think we like wrote like in our initial description like, and is she more machine than man? And then like, <laughs> like, like like make that into something dramatic and visual and cool and scary. It's like it was it was really fun. Um, yeah. And then. Uh, and then the love is great. I'm really, I, to this day, I think it's fun that we didn't call her the culture. I feel like yes. calling her the culture no. would have sent some weird messages and would have been bizarre. Yeah. Sure. Yes. Like, but the love is power. Like, there's a power. It's universal. Yeah. It's universal. Yeah. Exactly. We, wanted, we also wanted things that you could look at. We haven't done this as much as I, I wish we'd, we'd been able to um, historically, just because, like, there's only so many pages in a comic. But one of the things that we really wanted to do is is indicate that any culture that you had experienced over the course of your life, like outside of the Marvel universe, right? Every like album or movie or TV show um, that you could see Outer Circle threaded into it. Yeah. So the idea that if I listen to music, I hear Fight the Power. I hear, yeah. I watch a movie, I hear Follow the Money. I, you know, like love is a powerful thing. Love is all you need. Yes. These are, these are phrases that come up in the world a lot and that have a lot of idioms built around them and a lot of cultural idioms in the 20th century are designed around them. So the idea is that if you look at culture, you can see the century game. You can see, right. oh, that's something that was shaped by the love. That's something that was shaped by the power. That's something that was shaped by the machine. Um, even within culture. 
You're so fucked up for that. That's awesome. <laughs> Holy shit. You just melted my brain right now. <laughs> uh, the, the, black, uh, the black eyed peas were trying to tell you something with where is the this love? whole time? Uh, where is the love? Holy shit. <laughs> where is the love? Holy shit. <laughs> you, I, I don't know if you just made Fight the Power better or worse. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's oh my cool. god, that's so fucked yeah, up. Yeah, Rage Against the Machine is now my favorite band. Yep. And we're gonna be Holy shit. Yeah, that's, that's such a cool well, Rage Against the Machine is one hundred percent a revolution move. It's a yes. it, it's a revolution yeah. move that was yeah. that was supported by the love and they got co-opted by the money and the power. Right, like it's all you can see how all of this stuff, and like that's yes. Once we, once we tripped on that with the outer circle, that really did become the engine of, like, of the like what ifs, right? And obviously, that's right. just background. It's, 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 there's not enough room for that in the comic, so you just kind of know that it's there and let it be uh, uh, within you know within that framework. So. God, that's so. Just now that we're like looking at, we're just gonna be like we're gonna be sending each other like, did you know the title of the song? Like that's gonna be. I'm looking in my room right now, like I have like my action figures on the wall, and I'm just like Jesus, like our action figures, like part of the the money, like like, who's trying to fuck with me with action figures, man? Like (laughs) it's 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 weeping angels from Doctor Who all over again. Jesus, God, that really fucked me up. That's really wild. I'm, uh, I'm, 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 I'm like, I'm like begging, I'm begging them to do it in the movies someday, so that they can use all the cues, right? Because like, you, and that's music. I'd be so sad. Like, it sounds something tailor made for the MCU. Like, and that's the thing. I think it would, as great as it's working for Steve, I think MCU Sam. That's a perfect story for him. Yes. To take him on this national treasure esque kind of story that he has to once again look at how america works again like that's that's the beauty of falcon winter soldier is like oh he has to actually look at how america works like as a black man in modern america he has to look at how it worked against him and is still working against him and overcome that this is another way to do that for him like this is a perfect sam story too i I, yeah it's it's wild we uh we've been saying the same thing we're like i'm 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 gonna be watching i'm I'm watching new world order like a hawk yeah that's the thing like like, shit, like, what if that's what New World Order is? Like, <laughs> like what's going on here, guys? Like, what, oh, where is that century that game? Be, oh, my God. That would be incredible. But, yeah, I, it's, it's very, um, I think, like, it's, it's, been, it's been a really, uh, it's been really gratifying to see people connect to it and, 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 and want to dig into that history. Um, I wish yeah. we had more room to dig into it, but, I mean, we've gotten so much space and, like, it, we've, we've had a chance to dig into it off of it that it's, it's uh I, I you know i count myself very lucky we still have some great stuff coming so it's like i'm, I'm really happy to to um be getting it out there and 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 uh and, and be leaving some some stuff on the table eventually I, I hope for the marvel universe to sort of like continue moving though i think by the time that we are done uh whatever that is we're gonna be putting the the outer circle you know in you know in a box uh some way or another yeah you know i think if we leave it too much on the table we won't have done our job um for sure it's it's exciting to sort of figure out what that looks like is there potential for more like one shots like the like the winter soldier special where like you really got to flush that yeah like that i think that's my favorite issue of your guys's run so far like 
I and you really get to flesh out the workings of the the outer circle and everything. I hope so. We don't have anything in progress right now, if only because the cap line is supporting so many books. Um, it, right. That's like, fair. I, the, the thing about having two Captain America books plus the event is just that there is a there's a lot going on. There's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. The idea that you're going to spread out and do other one shots and do other things, it it makes it harder. Um, in in my you know in our in our like best case scenario obviously that would be awesome i would love to do uh, we, we we talked a lot about the idea of doing um sort of outer circle periods like 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 decades yeah like the one we've really worked out is world war ii world war ii is a wild story from the that's oh, what i keep thinking man. about is like world war ii in vietnam like <laughs> the whole point of the outer circle at, when it starts in 1922 is never let this happen again and then it immediately does. <laughs> so hard that they create World War II, right? And so my question is like, what? How? How did that come about? How do we do that? How do we lace the Marvel Universe into that? And we know what that whole story is. Colin and I worked that out a long time ago. Um, I don't know that we're ever going to get to tell that story. Maybe we will someday. I hope so. Um, like, I, uh, I, I hope that we can tell that story. Um, but I think that it, it might, you know, it's going to have to wait for when we have the space and room and time to do it. And it's, and it, and it means something because right now it's, it's sort of, it's esoteric. It would, it would involve our characters, but in a very like out there way. And it would really have to be like an outer circle thing. So maybe someday we can pitch an outer circle mini. Maybe we can do some one shots. Um, yeah. Also really, That'd be awesome. I also not to give the milk away for free, but uh, the other thing we'd really love to do at some point is a star points anthology. Oh, yeah, like one-off star point books that show you hell yeah show you like what a character you know this character you never knew was a star point in 1975 this character you didn't know was a star point in 1953 like and get to do some really cool interesting kind of world history espionage you know or or not espionage right maybe the genre totally changes because the outer circle can deal with all kinds of stuff like what is it yeah. like if they send a star point to space like we don't know any of that see and you guys already said that you're like Young Avengers guys, which and and Patriot guys, yeah. the Eli Bradley of it all, and that Isaiah Bradley of it all in the fifties. God, oh, you're breaking my brain. Like, <laughs> I mean, talk about a character who was a hundred percent not a star point, but was clearly yeah clearly created by the machinations of the outer circle, right? Yeah, like, like that's the thing. <laughs> is as close to a like full on victim of the of this organization and what this organization does that you know that exists um but in so doing his legacy is the one that's going to take this guy down in a lot of ways like i yeah eli bradley is one of those characters that we've been uh he's been in our outline since day one thank you yeah i wish i wish i had better news because the book is so full and because we've been doing so much stuff we keep deferring him to be like, okay, like we don't really have room to give this character the the, the justice that we want for him. Yeah. We need to give the character the space to do it. And I again, I just don't know that we're gonna end up having the space for Eli. It's a he's a character we really want to use, and he's a character who fits really nicely in the story. Um, we'll have to see where where, where the chips land. Um I appreciate you trying at least. He's one of my favorite characters, and I think he's super underserved. <laughs> um he's, yeah. he's a he's a character who's been uh, key to this. In if only because we do kind of want to touch every touch all those points we, 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 pun intended well and we, just, we just want to touch every um young avenger we just want all the young avengers hell yeah hell yeah that's my babies
we've mentioned also that this would make a fantastic Sam Wilson story, and we're really excited for his involvement in Cold War. Yeah. As we're recording this, just dropped chapter one. Um, really freaking cool. Really uh, awesome. Really awesome. Ian coming back, we're both big Ian heads as well. Yeah. Um, right and we're really excited oh, we to apologize ahead of time. <laughs> you, you did. You oh, did. No. You did. <laughs> well, and it's funny too, because like getting into I, I guess by the time this will come out, it's it's been a little bit. So It'll, yeah. Yeah. So obviously spoilers are spoilers. But Dimension Z is back. And I want to tell this story because I initially met Jackson and Colin at LA Comic-Con end of 22, uh, 2022. And we were gushing about, I I was doing most of the gushing about how good your cap run was. And I was just like, yeah, this, this, and that. And somehow we got onto the, uh, got on the topic of remender and i was just like oh my god like the remender run finally somebody else knows how good this run is and we both went back and forth just talking about like wouldn't it be so cool if people revisited dimension z like it'd be so great i really <laughs> wish dimension z would come back because it's such a great like concept and they were just full on looking me in the face going that would be cool huh man you dicks. that's great <laughs> I, I remember that conversation, and it was so hard not to. <laughs> I'm not good at not talking, and I was like, I was, yeah, man, maybe. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I want to talk about like Dimension Z bringing that back, working with uh, Tochio Nyobuchi and the whole Symbol of Truth team, and also working with Carlos Magno, who I feel like is one of the like mount rushmore cap artists especially like in the modern era like yeah he's killer let's let let's let's dig into this cold war like what brought about bringing back dimension z especially for something that teams both those caps back up because that remender run is what gave us sam wilson as captain america yeah Mm -hmm, Yeah. mm -hmm. god i've done an enormous amount of talking uh please Well, um, we came up with the idea, and then it happened. Done. No, um... (laughs) Wow, that was so eloquent. This this might be talking out of school a little bit, but it's actually interesting. We were were handed the title Cold War. Uh, that was, it was, uh, that was kind of going to be the title they'd been kind of working on, and they were like, this is, we know we want a cap event. Pretty sure this is the name. Because they have to work so far ahead, like yeah. especially for planning. You got to get the trademarking, and yeah, yeah so we, think like, we, really, we think it's a cool name. It's it's like secret. It's like Secret Wars, right? They're just like yeah, it's like Secret <laughs> Wars. Uh, it is a cool name. <laughs> so we started playing with that idea, and then we were like, "Well, what what is concept of Cold War? Right? Is it like does it all take place in uh, in Russia? Like, is this about cold, cold, cold?" And it's like, "Well, I mean, sure, right? Okay, let's put some snow in there. Let's figure out how to work that in." But then, like, what is really what what is a cold war and it's a silent war it's it's a war that doesn't get kinetic because it's two people it's two sides really kind of plotting and maneuvering each other around like chess pieces and we realized well that's the outer circle in its entirety so and one of the most devastating things about cold wars often is that they are fought on proxy battlefields right it is not about you putting your people in danger it is about you co-opting another person's place another people's um a, a different set of civilians to fight your wars for you in that most toxic of um perceptions so once we were like well 
ideologically, where is this Cold War going to happen? Where would the outer circle put these these power players? We realized that, like, well, there is one untouched part of Captain America lore that we both absolutely love, and that's Dimension Z. And when we started picking at that scab, we realized that, like, there is so much trauma there, right? And we, as soon yeah. as we hear trauma, we go, yum, 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 yum. <laughs> <laughs> like, we, we always want your tears. Um, that's the secret of the hive mind. So when we started cracking into that and realized, that, like, well, Dimension Z is absolutely where we want to take him. Um, that's where we're going to be able to find the most dramatic pain to put him through. Um Obviously, then Ian falls right into place. Um, right. And suddenly you have this kind of context for everybody and realizing that this new place is going to give everybody um, a chance to show sides of themselves that we have not seen, right? We don't want to, didn't want to just, as much as we love the big smash and Marvel events, we could not bring ourselves to write just an event that was going to be slamming all the toys together. We love slamming the toys together, but we're only <laughs> going to slam the toys together if, you know, once again, we can make you cry. If we can, you know, we, if we can actually say something important. Um, and when we realized all the toys on the table would let us do that, that's when the entire kind of concept started coming together. It's also a, a really fun part of this was getting to work directly with Tochi. Tochi and us started on this together at the beginning. We wrote Cap yeah. before we ever wrote um, Cap, you know, solo. We were writing Cap Zero. I guess we'd probably written Sentinel One by the time we wrote Cap Zero, but like we, in the early days, we were sharing with Tochi in the hive mind, which was like a, really a delight. He's in New York, so we don't get to hang out in person a lot. We yeah. just get on mm. and we get to, you know, talk about these characters when it makes sense for him. He's a very busy guy and like we're very busy. So it, it we, we get these sort of like special times when we really get to like drill down with one another and just geek out like we're doing right now with you. Tochi time. Yeah, and Tochi's really smart, <laughs> really, I mean, obviously, and like really into this character and knows what he wants to do with Sam and has a passion about taking Sam and not doing what, what has been done with the character a lot, which is like asking this question, like, are you Captain America? Do you deserve to be Captain America? Right. Asked all of that and telling Captain America stories with Sam Wilson, which is, yes. I think, a really important thing. And we, we were totally aligned with him on, um, it's, it's my main frustration with the character is that every time they, they've given him the, the, uh, the mantle, he has been saddled with this like additional need to prove that he, has earned it somehow extra like, hoops he has to jump through yeah uh-huh <laughs> <laughs> yes yep <laughs> it's, it's it's bad so tochi was like not gonna do that which i, I, I and, and, and immediately stepped in to be like instead i am making i'm, I'm making white wolf his red skull and we are going after yes. it. like let's just make let's start doing big globe trotting you know, bang them up Captain America adventures with Sam Wilson at the center of it, which was great because we were doing this very like introspective conspiracy theory history book um, about two best friends having a problem. And I really wanted to make sure that they, so there was somewhere where you could read Captain America smashes something with a shield every week. So, yeah. <laughs> so it was like, it really worked with us. And then we got together on Cold War and realized like he had kind of gotten his story to a natural, his first year of story to a natural conclusion. He had, yes. he had gotten White Wolf. Um, he sort of solved his problems, but he had left these portals on the table with Dimension Z. Right. And we were like, okay, well, that's great because we need a way into Dimension Z because we're because we 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 knew that we were going to give him Ian. This was planned years ago that he was going to have Ian, and then we were all going to get Ian in Cold War, and that that was how that was all going to work. But 
once we started to build out the event and understand what bringing Ian back to Dimension Z would mean, what bringing Steve back to Dimension Z would mean, um, what it would mean for White Wolf and Bucky to have any kind of alliance in a world where Bucky, regardless of how much he's kind of heel turned as the revolution, he's still Bucky Barnes. He's still Bucky Barnes. Yes. He's not, he's not gonna like teaming up with White Wolf, but he also can't look White Wolf in the eye and be like, I don't want to do this. He does have to play the villain. And yeah. so there's this, because he's playing a deeper game. Right. And the more that we leaned into that and realized that there was... Um, an enormous amount of like without saddling Tochi with our story and without him saddling us with his, when we all came together, we had threads that fit very naturally to right. get us to cool. felt like, like almost an unexpected climax. We were like, Oh, we're actually landing a lot of our planes. A lot of the stuff that we've been setting up is going to land in cold war. Sharon's going to reach the apex of her plot in cold war. Sam, but Lenny, I love you, but come on. Um, <laughs> uh, like, uh, my cat, just, as I said, wants to be in the interview. Gotta love the um, cats. Yeah. Like, we knew that, that uh, Sam Wilson was going to not reach the climax of his arc because he had kind of done that, but was going to now be at his most apex as Captain America at a time when Steve was going through effectively his hardest time as Captain America. He has right. lost a lot of his allies. He has. Um, been faced with the the, the, the full re-understanding of the 20th century. He has not defeated the Outer Circle yet. He has not finished this plot. He has not gotten Bucky Barnes back. He has specifically been rejected by Bucky. He is in a really complicated place emotionally, and then he's going to have to go back to Dimension Z? (laughs) (laughs) This is not a guy who's going through a good time. So suddenly we have this great binary of Sam Wilson at the very height of his Captain America powers and Steve Rogers being the person where you have to ask, should you be Captain America right now? Is this good for you? Are you okay? And that was such a great flip because it really let us just tell a very different story. And and honestly, the only time when we ever had, um, when there was ever like a, 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 not that there was ever really a mismatch between us and Tochi, but the, 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 the biggest needle, like the thinnest, I guess needle to thread on this is that when you are writing this book from Sam's perspective, sometimes Steve is going to come off pretty bad. It's not because he's not Steve Rogers anymore, but it's because he is pushed to his absolute limit. And, and, and when you are seeing that from Sam's perspective, that's not always going to look great. And so we really realize as we're trading this back between Steve's perspective and Sam's perspective, which is kind of what the book is doing, there's a literal relative reality that's going on where from Sam's perspective, it's kind of one way. And from Steve's perspective, it's kind of the other way. And these things aren't always going to match up. Um, so it's a, it's a really uh, like the, the, the reality of the book will match up, but the emotional tone of the book will sometimes be, be different between these two titles. And that felt right. It felt unique and interesting and like a cool way to approach an event that is built on how these two different men wield the same mantle and inspire one another in different ways. Um, so it's, I'm, I'm really excited for people to see what's going on uh, in the book. It's a, it, there's a, you know, there's some other characters coming into it that um, are, are announced so I can talk about them, but like, I don't want to talk about how much they get into it, um, but like For sure. bringing Natasha in. So Black yes. Widow entering the book um, in a way that is really exciting and, and really focused on 
what's going on with Bucky, because um, Bucky's on such an island. Uh, so it felt right. great yeah. to bring her in. Um, it's really letting Peggy Carter let her villain flag fly. Um, Hell yeah. We, we, <laughs> when we got on this book, I don't think we realized how much we were going to do that. But the minute we started writing her, we found that in order to differentiate her from everybody else in the book and in order to really embrace what was unique about her, we had to make her colder than yeah. you'd expect and, and punchier than you'd expect, which felt like a Sharon Carter thing. It was like, great, like the this sure. runs in the family. But having her be much more willing to like make the hard choices than anyone else in the book. Yeah. In a Steve Rogers book, even though she's not very villainous, but she's right by her very nature. She is more villainous than anybody else in the book. So it's letting her do that. It's like, it really opened up some space for her. Um, yeah, she rules. <laughs> we've, been having, we've been having a lot of fun opening these characters up and discovering what's underneath. Um, but yeah, by the end of Omega, basically everybody's going to have changed. Um, in a pretty significant way. Steve's going to have gone through something pretty that. powerful. Bucky's going to have gone through something powerful. Ian is going to have gone through something very powerful. Again, <laughs> um, uh, you know, everybody's going to have really, I mean, certainly Sharon and Misty it will have gone through their own changes. Like everybody's going to go through something. This is not a, um, a fly by night event. It is a, it is the culmination of a year of storytelling. And it's funny. A lot, the only things that I've seen, in, in like backlash to the book from like the early reviews, I read reviews because I'm a masochist. Um, the, uh, is that there are people who are like, it does feel like being thrown into the ocean from moment one. Like if you don't know what's going on, if you haven't been reading Fentanyl and Symbol, there's a lot that you've missed. And that's true. This could never, Cold War Alpha was never going to be able to properly stand on its own. We were going to do everything to bring you up to speed but in all honesty this book is not a standalone event it is the culmination of two ongoing series yeah and a year's worth of storytelling yeah. between the uh, two. And <laughs> so and, and, and we didn't want to like pretend it wasn't you know it's just not like a bottle episode and not the culminating event um then we'd sort of be doing something wrong so we we we, we found that our plot needed that um, and so I hope that if people read Cold War Alpha and found anything interesting in it at all and haven't read Sentinel and Symbol, that they will go back and read Sentinel and Symbol because um, both volume ones are now in trade and they can start getting in on that because uh, uh, that's really how it's designed to work. And I think if you did do that as a let's jump in, you know, with this event as the culmination of, like you said, an entire year of storytelling and we're like, yeah, I'd. I know exactly what's going on and with no, you know, needed context, it would feel like a disservice to the stories prior to it, where you've been building yeah. this across yeah. all of this to have it come to a head with this story. Yeah. So I'm really excited. Cold War is like, we, we've been talking about it since it was announced, like just yeah. how hyped we are for it. Oh, really and, 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 and we didn't even say Carlos back. Uh, Carlos is our guy on Captain on, on Kang the Conqueror. He's our first Marvel. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was just a delight to get to get back with him. He's yeah, he's a, he's a true he's a true genius, and he's he's one of those guys who draws every single thing you write. So if you yeah. write a hundred monsters, he draws a hundred monsters, and it's just a delight when you're doing Dimension Z because you can hell yeah get the weirdest stuff, and he'll he'll go for war on it. As people have now. Some of the stuff in Dimension Z is it's like only Frox, only man. Magno <laughs> would really like get in and like into the nitty gritty of this and really like 
Oh God. Yeah. Between having Carlos and Carmen uh, Canero, like you guys are super blessed on the cat books. <laughs> yeah. And then we got Kev Walker over in guardians of the galaxy. It's yes. like, right. Exa- exactly. I mean, you know, blessed by having yeah. working with nothing but amazing talent uh, on the art side of stuff. Yeah. No lie. Which yeah. Is hell yeah. Incredible. No lie. Um, but there's a, if you're, if you're into frocks and you're into all that kind of weirdo shit, man, wait until we got a, we got some beats coming up. We just uh, we let our yeah, yeah, yeah. die because Dimension all is not well in Dimension Z. Yes, uh, it has since the. I mean, it's been a really long time. It has been a really in Dimension long Z. Time. Never and, mind, like in our world. Exactly. Yeah. And Zola has been dead and on for quite a while. So that place Fuck. is fucking yes. weird. So strap yeah. in, baby. Yeah, I'm. I'm excited to see how that power vacuum has evolved over time yeah. because that's. Yeah. In a place like that, like, oh, it's, yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of plates spinning that I'm excited to see what's on top of them as yeah. as we go through that series. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I said, cats. There um, she is. There's the guest host. She is. <laughs> Has to be there every time. <laughs> but you, you mentioned Kev Walker. Kev Walker is your collaborator on Guardians. And you've mentioned in interviews how working with Kev is different from any other artist you've worked with. Mm-hmm. Can you dig into that a little bit and what that process has been like? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so obviously when Kev, uh, when he was first proposed for this book, I mean, our jaws dropped and we were like, absolutely 100% yes. I, we don't even need to think about this. Um, not only because his comics work is legendary, but Jack and I, spoiler alert, are big Magic the Gathering fans. Uh, <laughs> yeah. His, you know, the work in Magic is fucking yeah. Apex too and yeah. amazing. Um, but then we started to see what he was kind of putting together, especially having worked with him on uh, our Bucky uh, Winter Soldier Bucky Soldier. one shot. Yeah. And from that, we knew that Kev has does indeed have a very unique working style, um, wherein he is going to take our scripts and he's going to love them absolutely, and he's going to do the layouts. But then he's going to go rogue. Uh, we call it going rogue. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you have the blueprint, and you actively decide to not do the blueprint. Colin, Colin does it. Sometimes in scripting, more so than I do. But I just yeah, I, I, love, I love going rogue. I'm like following my heart song. And sometimes that's tricky in a collaborative relationship. <laughs> uh, but what Kev does, unique to anyone we have ever worked with, is that every one of his choices he attaches to an essay. Um, he wrote us, he wrote more than we wrote in the script about his choices for why he did these things. Um, and when we were doing Winter Soldier, it was stuff like, Hey guys, I really respect the script, but uh, army tanks didn't have that structure, or this car was not did not exist then, or it was like these really small oh, things that. that he was like, I know this because I'm a fucking super smart history guy. Yeah, let, let's talk. Let's talk about the actual physical history of Gabriel Princip and make sure that you have justified exactly how he got here because this is how his actual life worked. And it's like, yeah, too, but you like. What? That rules. Yeah. <laughs> that rules. World War One tanks didn't have circular hatches, so the love can't paint this on a tank circle. You need something else to make the table out of. Like it's like stuff. God, like he's like so cool. he's a genius. That's and, amazing. And, and yes, Malcolm, exactly. Like that kind of like as soon as we saw that, you know, we're talking to our editors, and they're like, guys. 
you know, is this okay? Is it tricky? Like a lot of times, you know, you don't get this much kind of pushback from artists and we're like, no baby, like this is Jack and I's process is picking an idea and then clashing about it until we find something perfect. So bringing, we are, that is our collaboration. So bringing someone into that collaboration who is so strongly opinioned and so rational was like 100%, um, you know, and he is British. So he has some sharp language and a relative bluntness that, uh, <laughs> you know, you do need to kind of grapple with. But once again, it's like, that's just kind of culture, right? Yeah, Brits are right. a little blunt when they need to be. Yeah. Uh, and that's fucking okay. We're big swearers, like whatever. Um, so then knowing that though, as we worked into guardians, we were able to kind of flex a little bit and give him the space knowing that like, look, we know he's going to have incredibly strong opinions about this. And we also know that his opinions are going to be fucking great. So knowing that we kind of go into the process and we expect and we appreciate when he comes back to us with these kind of thoughts. And as we're calibrating, um, the story, those become less and less as we kind of dial in our creative flow um, to the point now where we're really on the same page. Uh, and this work that he's doing is just fucking incredible. It's, it, I think one of the cool things about it is that he is a storyteller, right? He is not right. simply there to execute a script. What he is trying to do is tell the best story. And so everything he does is in the effort of doing that. So when he sends you a note where he's like, this beat doesn't make sense. It's because the beat doesn't make sense to him. Not because yeah. he's trying to be a dick or shut something down, but because yeah. there because you have not thought this through in a way that is working for him. And because he's the person who has to draw it, you better figure that out. And some artists yeah. would just be like, it doesn't make sense to me, but I'll draw what's on the page. And instead, Kev challenges you and says, I've thought about this, and what if you did it this way? And oftentimes what that does is it, it changes the beat but then it makes it better as a result. Like you end up adapting in, in the same way that we work. So like it, it, it's been a really, like now I really think it's like, you see those books where you get like joint credits, you know, where it's like just yeah. storytelling by blah, 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 blah. That's sort of what Guardians is at this point. Like by the time we got to issue three or four of Guardians, it was like, oh, a lot of this is Kev's idea too. Like there's a whole thing Hell yeah. in, in Guardians 4 there's a whole part of Guardians 4 that's just Kev's idea. Like, the, he, he grew Ooh. out before it ever made it, before we ever wrote the script, that wasn't going to be a thing we were going to do. Oh, wow. And it became yeah. the emotional underpinning of the entire issue. Um, and it just started with Kev being like, I've been thinking about this, and I thought it would be interesting to draw this kind of thing. Can you get this in the book? And it was like, yeah, man, actually, this is the thing we've been missing. And he's been doing a lot of that. Wow. Um, and that creates this really great process for us, which is different. Most of the time, like, we've reached out to Carmen Carnero, uh, like, who's a genius, a hundred times, being like, hey, Carmen, is there anything you want to draw? And Carmen's just like, no, just keep giving me scripts like this. I'll do these scripts for it forever. I love these scripts so much. <laughs> so it's like, oh, okay, got it. I don't need to, like, take notes from Carmen. I just need to give Carmen stuff Carmen loves. The only the only thing Carmen ever asked for was, like, can can Steve ride a motorcycle? Only and thing like, ever. <laughs> Please, yeah, too. I can't believe an artist asked for that. It's because we started uh, with Carmen uh, on um, way back in the way back, uh, early in our careers. We all worked together on a book called Gotham City Garage. Yes, yes. I loved Gotham City Garage. Well, Carmen Carnero did issue five. Yeah, um, it was the only issue that she did, but. 
it was my favorite issue and it was hell brutal. yeah uh, and, hell yeah uh, and at the time we fell in love with her and we actually offered her the whole book we said come do every issue of the book and she was Shit. like okay and then she got injured and couldn't do it oh no so she did the first half of issue six and then and then she was out um so we've been wanting to work with her forever and so when we came back in that was her thing she was like well we got to put a motorcycle in the book because it's, <laughs> it's our grassroots <laughs> <laughs> So with with Guardians and with Kev just doing this incredible storytelling collaborative work with you, what I'm really excited about is the new take. Like you said, like making a making a comic book accessible to both old heads and new readers. You are taking the Guardians in a way that we haven't seen in the mainline Gu- Guardians book, Space Western. Mm-hmm. I am over the mood about the space westerns yeah. Yeah. um really really excited to have them finally getting this space western treatment um what what inspired that take on the guardians for you and do you have any like favorite westerns that you'd recommend and what are you what what from the genre are you excited to bring into the story so the big the big reason why western is because we we didn't start with the genre we actually started with the emotional component and then the genre kind of developed out of that i love Um, that we we start everything from character If, if you ask us where our stuff comes from out except for the outer circle which came from a sort of conceptual exercise most of what we do we start by saying if you stripped all of the genre stuff out of it and you just had to stage this in a black box theater with like no costumes and no sets, Hell yeah. how cool. would you do it? How would you make this work? Right. Like cool. the story, like, 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 um, uh, a theater nerd in me. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like, <laughs> that's, that's, that's hella so cool. <laughs> Liberty is effectively true West. It's two guys who cannot figure out how to agree with one another, circling each other around a table, wanting to be brothers, right? And then everything else sits on top of that. But the core of it is true rest. So that's how we try to think about this stuff. When we came on to Guardians, we were like, this is a book about five people who are in at the very, very height of their power. Peter Quill, after the Ewing run, is a literal god. Mm-hmm. Yes. These characters have enormous indestructible power, but they have lost the most important thing, the thing that is fundamental to them, which is their trust in one another and their trust in like heroism and goodness. And we knew that we wanted that. And actually there was a whole component to the book that got thrown out um, that I don't want to talk about because we might use it someday, but there was a sure. whole okay. other twist on the book that was like the actual pitch of the book. That we threw oh. out because we, we did it a couple of times and no matter what we did, it didn't quite fit. And we were like, we were excited about it and we were excited about the Guardians, but the two things didn't really fit right. And the Groot was always there. We always knew about Grootfall. We always knew what we were doing. Yeah. There. And that was all. We didn't necessarily know what it was. <laughs> just- <laughs> did you just have the name and you're like, is there something there? Like- <laughs> so, so, so the solicits were more of a question for both of you. What is Grootfall? What is Grootfall? We, we figured it out really fast. Yeah. We, awesome. we we knew we we knew we knew we knew we knew Groot go bad, the, and the rest, yeah. the rest of it came from there. Um, but I think the thing that we were un the thing that we didn't have initially was like that yeah that, that like genre hook. What we had was mm-hmm. these are characters who are going through intense power crisis and are on a on a mission of redemption for themselves and 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 and, and understanding of each other and forgiveness of one another, which felt yeah. very Guardians, right? My favorite. Yeah. My favorite MCU movies are the Guardians movies because ultimately they are actual, they are like really fundamental character stories about how we deal with love, 
when we aren't used to accepting it. And that's really personal and really human. And you could stage that in a fucking black box theater and you don't need Bradley Cooper playing a raccoon to do it. You, you just need the emotional core and then all the rest of it is set on top of it. So we said, okay, great. We have that. We have the emotional core. We know that this book is about five people who do not want to love one another, but still love one another and don't know how to express it and are trying to learn how to express it again. Okay. Now, given that, what can we do to put, uh, now that we're talking about, now we have to give it Kev Walker something to draw. How do you turn that into something that feels big and genre and West, uh, big and genre and, 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 and worth somebody picking up a, a number one and feels like a new inv- uh, invention. And um, what genre is more desolate and more concerned with forgiveness and sin and, um, and, and, and being a posse and being a lone ranger and being a, like all of these things, these are, we literally use the Western terminology to talk about this stuff when we talk about it emotionally. So it was like, yeah. eventually like Western just became um, obvious. Like we did stumble into it. It literally was like, somebody was like, what? That's awesome. like, it's like, it needs to be like a Western or something. And then we were like, shit, oh, it needs to be a Western. Like, oh. <laughs> but ultimately that is what happened is we, we, we realized that Western, though it is mostly an aesthetic, it can be when you're talking about like Unforgiven or, um, yeah. you know, the Outlaws of like Wales or, or even like um, the, the, uh, the death of Jesse, assassination of Jesse James. Like these yeah. are stories yeah. that are about like really messed up people dealing with uh, uh, an inability to be anywhere else but the frontier and having to live that life out. And that was like, well, that's what we're trying to tell. So why not lean in and give Star-Lord a cowboy hat? Hell Yeah. Hell yeah. That cover well, goes so hard. Like, so all hard. credit to Marco Cicchetto. That is one of the <laughs> hardest covers I think I've ever seen. Like, I need a poster of that, like, yeah. on a billboard or something like that. That is the coolest shit I've ever seen. It's a cool cover. Yeah, well, and our, our core there was, you know, one of the key things about Westerns is that ideally they're tragedies. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The tragedy. When no one says, like, oh, the optimism of the Old West. It's like, no, <laughs> Seemed like a good time. Right? Like, we know that it's a place of, of hard living and, 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 and pain. Like, we know that the fundamental setting itself is going to fail, right? Civilization yeah. will wipe away all that is wonderful and amazing and awe inspiring about the Old West as it comes rolling through. Like, a cowboy is nothing but someone holding on to the past, unable to let go and grow, right? Like God, that is one of those well. things. Oh. And, and also holding on to that as something to idealize, right? Like it's this really robust area where you can scratch the surface and find all this depth, even though the characters themselves that exist in within that storytelling space are incredibly, you know, um, laconic and inward looking and quiet and contemplative. So once we kind of started putting those together, yeah, the, the story itself started to jump up. And then once you realize the thematics are all really tied together, the aesthetic falls into place. And yeah, baby, when we, Kev was like, I think he has a hat. And we we're like, oh my God, yes. He has to have a hat. He has to have a hat. And we're like, can he have a poncho too? And Kev was like, all right, I'll fucking put him in a poncho. <laughs> Thank you. Can, can we talk very quickly about what's under the hat? Because uh, as of yesterday, I think preview pages came out for uh, for for issue two. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. we see that uh, Star-Lord has like a shaved mohawk kind of thing going yeah. on. Kind of a, yeah. a wild undercut. Yeah. So like, how depressed is he? It's bad. <laughs> 
Uh, like, it, it's really bad, right? Because, like, in the Ewing run, he's got, like, this gorgeous mane. I'm like, gorgeous hell yeah. Thing. And then now he's got that. I'm like, oh, oh no. Yeah. My boy's hurting. Like, like, <laughs> that's the thing. And I know that there are already, I, I, I can feel it in my bones there are Star-Lord fans who hate us right now because they like, because, because, they, because they liked where he was in the Ewing run. And I really understand it. I did, too. That was fucking yeah. his like yeah. his like seventies daddy Bowie period is yeah. oh yeah in a thruple with, it, with yeah Mora with, and with the universe truly, yeah like, truly excellent stuff yeah uh, it, it it was it was beholden on us to break that and I and and yeah. Al like it's Al has been so gracious like Al is uh you know totally aware of what we're doing we we talk about it at the at the summits um like he has been nothing but supportive of us which I, I i really appreciate because we are huge fans of that run but it was uh if we came in as huge fans of that run and just continued that run or picked up from exactly where he left off and then said like we're gonna do more stories about the guardians being space cops and the superheroes of the galaxy and yeah and and now that they've all found love they all get to be happy that story is not a story we are able to tell because i yeah. don't know what that story looks like in a black box that story is dull because it's just big, oh, he's done. wow, pow. Yeah. He ended the story where he ended it because that's the end of his story, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So we were like, as we talked about what this book needs to be, one of the first things we had was like, um, Star-Lord's got to be kind of going through it. Uh, either yeah. because his power has gotten out of control because he has way too much power now. There's a lot. Or, or, or because he is specifically not using that power because he doesn't trust himself with it, which is a lot closer to what's happening book right he's not you don't see him use the master of the sun power in issue one yeah Yeah, no i mean he doesn't have the master of the sun power right we that's why we put that kid in who says yes yeah you thought about whether the basis of your life i fucking rules (laughs) that stuff still exists and we're gonna get to it but he is very specifically not that guy right now because of the events that have happened over the course of that year um and uh, and the haircut is, is is part of that. I will say the haircut is entirely Kevin. I, I yep. <laughs> he just threw a boy under the bus yep. <laughs> <laughs> on the page, and I was like, "Oh, Pete!" But like that's it works. <laughs> I was stunned when I saw that page. I was like, oh my god, he's really doing bad. Like <laughs> the only thing that would be worse if uh, like he dyed his hair black and got bangs. <laughs> oh. Hey, as someone who has very dark hair and has had to get bangs, there are some things you can't come back from. So I'm glad that we stopped. The only right thing the on line. this Peter's mixtape is just my chemical romance and like postal <laughs> service. See, I don't know how you convey like the swishing with, with of the a, hair. With a little bit of taking back Sunday. You have to. Hell yeah. You have to add that. In. We do. We do <laughs> yeah. actually have. We do have a, uh, an awesome mix for this book. Like, yes. Book. I was gonna ask. I, it's not. It's not ready for public release yet. I need to cool. do some sequencing. But we we have the thing we write to. Um, that's awesome and, and I'll, cool. we, I'll, I'll post it eventually the opening track is such such a fucking baller killer I just every time I listen to it it's just like maybe with the, hell yeah. black, the black mountain track yeah yeah man. god hell yeah now, so now, now you've got us hyped on several other things. Yeah, <laughs> this run that we weren't even expecting. Exactly, Mohawks, a full. I, um, I was really hoping that there was going to be some kind of playlist for this because, like, as I'm sure you know, the Guardians are all about like they're intrinsically tied, especially 
to people outside of comics to music, to music and how that shapes their narrative and how that shapes their their character struggles and those characters you have in this book are in some aspects wildly different yeah. from the last time we saw them obviously peter uh colin i think in an interview you uh align drax with jeremiah johnson which i think is the mm-hmm. coolest coolest yep. thing it was one of the last ones we kind of clicked into place because we're like, yeah. what is a Drax within this, within this storytelling space? Um, and, you know, yeah, that's the one that popped into life. Hell yeah. And, and I'm, I'm obsessed with Mantis. Yeah. Cause this really is a Mantis interested. that we haven't seen before. And like, I mean, obviously like I need more like Asian passing characters in comics. Please give me more. Mm-hmm. Like I need them. Hell and, yeah. All of, I mean, the very, I don't want to say similar, like, I, I think you've mentioned it somewhere. It's very everything, everywhere, all at once. And having Mantis be a an extension of that makes my heart sing as an Asian American. Like, I'm like, yes! I, it's, it's the closest thing in the book to, like, a direct lift. Like, we, yeah. we were both, like, I told you, like, you know, we, we try not to just do, like, it's his court of owls. Because, like, that's just where right. yeah. like, that's For sure. useless. Like, don't do that. But on the flip side, um, I loved everything ever all at once, like more than life itself. I just thought that movie was was a, a truly beautiful like, masterpiece, thing, and I'm, I'm still yeah. shocked that it won all the Oscars because, like, for some reason, the good guys won for once. But, like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I, I'm really uh, when we were talking about Mantis, it felt really important. Like we didn't start by being like we just want to write everything ever all at once. What we said was, yes. this it is- be said like this was our we all of this stuff happened well before the movie. Yeah, right? of course. We were planning mantis and stuff. Like we were we we were putting together this idea that kind of revolved around you know what happens once her you know her primary defining trait, which is this celestial Madonna, yeah. this motherhood, is put down. Right. And what happens when as a mom, you know, like you're kind of no longer defined by your child. What does that mean when it's defined your entire life? And for Mantis plugged into the multiverse as she is like, what happens to a rumspringa mom? Like what happens when you stop being a wine mom and start being like (laughs) a fucking like Baja California mom? Right. Like what happens when you're cut? Very different. That was kind of the initial like kind of concept for her. Uh, and then it all kind of started to kind of fall into place. Yeah, and and I love how that new characterization gives her interactions with everyone else different um, different motivations and different interactions. Also, like Gamora being like yeah. nihilistic, drunk, like I'm just yeah. here for the party, like that we haven't seen with Gamora before. Like I love all of these remixes for music reference on these characters and what brings them not just to the game, but to each other. Yeah. And then you have this existential horror that is Grootfall. Cha- I don't friend. know if it's chasing them or if it's just attacking things and they're doing like refugee rescue missions. Like I'm really excited. It's more the lap. Um, and the, the, uh, the, the, what Grootfall is, what it's doing and how it ties to all of this is going to become clear as, as the book goes on. Um, a lot, yeah. You'll get a lot of those answers in issue two in terms of like the larger yeah. logistical stuff. Um, and then the emotional answers will be coming a little bit later um, in terms of like the historical stuff and, and what it means and where it comes from and, and why, why we're going through what we're going through. But by the end of the first arc, you'll have all the answers in terms of like, we're not, we're not doing a like, you know, three year plan here to like, <laughs> yeah. you know, try to like hold you off and, and, and make you guess. We're, we, the, the, how this happened is not the point. 
where it's going is the point. Um, and you know, there's sort of going to be a fundamental, if, for anybody who's not a fan of it so far, um, what I will say is like, there's a pretty fundamental seismic shift in the book starting in issue six, most likely, um, to uh, towards towards something that's going to, I think, really open the book up in some interesting ways. So I, I'm really excited for people to like, enjoy this period where it's like a fully desolate Western where everything is questions because the book's not always going to be that. But that is what yeah, the book, yeah. that's how the book is going to start. And then we're going to be building out. We're going to keep the Western the whole time. Though, that's, it's just, yes. Every time we approach breaking a story, we kind of, the, for one of the, you know, after it's characters in the black box, we kind of look at it and it's like, well, how does this maintain that Western element, right? Like if we're writing a story, you know, like basically it all has to match to something within that genre. You know, like we're not going to have a, we're not going to have a corporate banking scene where they all sit around the table and talk about like you know, hold like, on you know, I, mean, I always can say that and then it ends up being some amazing scene we're gonna write but like, you know, western element is incredibly important to us as we move forward um, because once again that's the aesthetic it's not just the aesthetic that's the fundamental thematic co- code of people at the edge of both themselves emotionally and at the edge of the world without that support trying to find their way in a in an environment that feels to them like it is collapsing like it cannot hold Um, and you speak to like the kind of the rescue angle of it i think the thing that we really the one of the things that we started with is um this is in a lot of ways a story about um kind of environmental collapse right this is a story about ecology in a lot of ways um and that's the kind of thing that we are really looking at um you know in terms of um, kind of broader overarching thematics. Like this is a story about climate change in a really weird way. It's, it's one of those books that like, similar to, to, to Gap, where it's just, we, we sometimes have to pinch ourselves that we're, we're getting to, to write these characters. <laughs> exactly. It means so much to us and that we get to tell these stories with the kind of freedom that we're being allowed to tell them, you know? Yeah, We can, for sure. we can come in and say, hey, we want to do a book where Gamora has a, uh, is going through a fundamentally nihilistic, self-destructive period. And, yeah. and rather than Marvel being like, that sounds dark, guys, we get no pushback. And they're like, great, find a way to, you know, let's let's see what we can bring out of this character. Um, that's wild. Uh, the fact that we were able to pitch this book and not put Rocket on the team. Is right, like, exactly. Like, you not know. because we don't like Rocket, but because Rocket is, in the same way as Groot, a, an immediate heart even if he doesn't want to be. Yeah. And as I said, you know, when you break the down, what this book actually is, it's the, it's a book about five people who love each other, but can't express it. Yeah. I feel like if you put rocket in the center of that, it's much easier for them to express it. It's much easier. Exactly. Even if he is bad at that, um, you know, everyone else gets a little bit cuddlier around the, around the raccoon. And yeah, of course, removing him from the equation, at least at first, uh, felt like the, felt like a really necessary thing. And I was like, I feel like we're going to get pushback from this because everybody loves a rocket raccoon. And, um, and instead they, they, they really understood why it was we were doing it and, and, and backed us the whole way. It's been, um, it's a, we're, we're feeling very, very lucky these days. That's awesome. You guys, you guys got to weaponize the, they are Groot line and yeah. totally recontextualize that yeah. in a bone chilling way, which is so awesome. <laughs> I, I, I'm a, I'm a big, I'm a, I'm a big, that's a uh, shout out to Kev Walker. That beat was different and Kev really have changed it. And that line was like the last thing put on the book that was put in. Uh, on really? In, that line was put on in lettering. 
that literally that literally like i i hit that page i was like whoa i gotta stop for a second like i'm feeling it <laughs> but that's that's why the book's awesome the, the collaboration yeah. on the book is real and it's not like we that's really it. cool You're like we're geniuses we figured all of it out right away it's like we have a really good baseline and kev comes in and challenges us really hard and then we come back and challenge ourselves like it's it's a it's a it's a blast i think and that's something that like every everyone who wants to make comics just needs to really wrap their heads around it's like the monoliths that you imagine that all comics creators are it's like ah, nah man like comics are jazz comics are absolute chaos and um it's about the team you've surrounded yourself with listening to them trusting them and acknowledging that you even though you might have written those words you are not necessarily the person who is gonna give that real solid juice right you might not be the magic but you've got to allow the magic to happen. So I know you guys are crunched for time. So we're going to go ahead and wrap. Uh, thank you so much for being on. We'll have you on again so we can talk uh, some Star Trek and we have some Green Arrow questions and such. But before you go, is there anything you want to plug? Anything, you know, I know, again, this week, uh, Guardians number one out from Marvel. We have Captain America Cold War out from Marvel. Uh, both Star Trek and Star Trek Defiant were out this week uh, from IDW. Anything else you guys want to plug that you have coming up? Big week in the hive mind. Big week. <laughs> Uh, I mean, look, man, you just did an amazing job, and it was absolutely our pleasure to be here. Uh, if fans like, if, it, if if folks are out there listening about any of this stuff, as you just pointed out, all those amazing books are now available to you. Put them in your hot little hands. Uh, we have also just announced uh, our sequel to our Batman Beyond yes. Neo Year yes. series, uh, Batman Beyond Neo Gothic. Yes. Um, where once we looked to the skies, we will now look to the darkness beneath. Uh, you fucking cool max dunbar's back and the book is going to be it's outstanding um so you can i don't know if it's available for pre-orders yet but at least put that little ping on your heads uh the batman beyond neo year trade is amazing it's a beautiful trade you can go pick it up now does the trade have the urban legends issue in there? okay yeah. that's fantastic cool i was wondering that because i was going to get that for a friend and i was like shit i don't know if it has that in there should i get that yeah. separately it has, it has okay, that zero good. issue so the trade is the one-stop shop it's seven issues it's fucking beefy it's one of those awesome. it's like it's one of those trades that you used to get and you're just like oh yeah i can tell this is going to be a just story pick up, for sure. hell yeah um, and then, you know, just kind of hyping it up, uh, if folks are out there at their comic shops, recently we did a book called uh, One Bad Day Clayface. Yes! yes. It's part of the Batman One Bad Day uh, line that are all amazing, but our Clayface uh, is one of the best things we've ever written. Uh, if you want to explore the idea of tragedy uh, and you want a bit of side slice of what our world actually feels like out here in Los Angeles, uh, Clayface is a deep dive onto all the pain that we've had in the last 20 years 15 years of hollywood of yeah. hollywood kicking us in the God. fucking chest so yeah explore yeah. some pain and also see some amazing art by harmonico yes what we've been talking about is cool at all uh i highly recommend picking that one up uh, yeah congratulations on having the movie announced apparently uh <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> you did this you, you did, did this. this they read that and were like oh shit we gotta put this in a movie now we had, we had so many people ping uh, like tagging us into the, <laughs> you know, the main tweet being like the perfect book just came for you to adapt it's like <laughs> but no seriously like as as an actor who like moved from a smaller town to la like i have never felt so seen and at the same time terrified in a single <laughs> issue of comics like incredible we see, you, we see you and we are sorry i appreciate <laughs> that i'm sorry too but 
but yeah thank you so much uh thank you for coming on this has been amazing we will have you back uh we will we will drag you kicking and screaming back yeah we're gonna spot. come back and we're gonna have a star trek episode after yes! Day of blood uh all the details have been announced for our first massive star trek event yes i'm in here and we're gonna talk about how benjamin cisco is the goat and the father uh we always we had yes that's why i love him because he's the dad i wish i had sorry dad if you're listening to this It is now time for the Wild Card Weekly Review. This is the segment of our show where I review something weekly. And here we are at the end of the mid-season break of the final run of The Flash. And this week, I want to talk about Fleabag. I have come very late to the game, apparently. But Fleabag is a masterpiece. My fiancé and I have been basically binging the entire series, both seasons, over the last week or so, and we could not stop watching. For context, my fiancé does not like binging anything. She probably can do like two episodes of something before she either has to do something else or watch something else. And the fact that we could not take our eyes away from this show, it was incredible. And I know for a long time, people have been saying, oh, Fleabag's a masterpiece. Fleabag's one of the best shows ever created. Phoebe Waller-Bridge is a superstar. But I did not know that Fleabag was going to be Life and Soul Shattering. Uh, This show, for those of you who aren't aware, centers around the titular heroine Fleabag. We're never given her real name. No one ever addresses her by her name. Some characters don't even have names. But it centers around Fleabag and her family and all of the really sad and heartbreaking and sometimes really awfully comedic things that happen in her life as she tries to deal with being an adult in your 30s, sex and friendship and family and dealing with addiction and all of these things that we all go through in our day-to-day lives. The cast is absolutely stacked. Phoebe Waller-Bridge as our main protagonist, our heroine. Her sister Claire is played by Sion Clifford. Their godmother is played by Olivia Coleman. I love Olivia Coleman. Uh, Brett Gelman, who I really, I think, only know from Stranger Things, I think he was in. Uh, in season two, we are introduced to Andrew Scott as the priest. My Moriarty is here. It's just chock full of actors who know what the hell they're there for um it takes place obviously in the uk um there's a lot of that sensibility when it comes to humor when it comes to the references and even though we reside here in the u.s nothing was lost because everyone is so freaking good at what they do it's 
also a really quick watch as well. Um, the episodes are maybe 20 to 30 minutes long, and there's only six episodes per season. So 12 episodes in all. Uh, you set aside six hours of your life, and you will have it changed and forever. Forever! Um, it's It's wonderful not just in the cast. It's wonderful not just in the fact that it's an easy watch and it's a quick watch, but also how deeply personal and introspective that it is. I did some research and I did not realize that the show was a stage play before this. Uh, it's a it was originally a one woman show uh, put on by the main actor uh, Phoebe Waller Bridge, and the original stage play takes. I think the entire first season and condenses it or rather the show expanded it into the first season. And then the second season, which I think is probably the better season personally, after having watched it once, um, brings it to all timer level for me. Uh, it's, it's incredible. The performances are amazing. The writing, the writing is so freaking good and it gets you both, really invested in the characters who you want to see succeed and it makes you absolutely fucking loathe the people that are the antagonists the godmother is just the worst but not even nearly as bad as martin martin can burn in hell and launch himself off a building I I could not stand that character. But also, there are some tragic performances in this. Uh, Jenny Rainsford as Boo. The character Boo, just as a character, is incredibly chilling. Because she is the best friend you could ever ask for. And the the... What happens to her in the show? I don't want to give spoilers in case you haven't watched it because you need to watch it. You need to watch it. Um, it's tragic and it's sad. And I I appreciated the performance all the more because of her performance. Um, Andrew Scott's Priest is... I mean, I, I want to one day play a role that has half as much nuance as his character does. Um... I hope to high heaven that I get to be in a role that affects people in the way that his character affected me as a viewer. It's just, it's one of the greatest viewing experiences I've ever had. Um, it's very graphic and very adult. This is not something you show your kids. There is a ton of sex, a ton of vulgarity, lots of just brutal honesty and brutal language, but it feels real. Um, there is a, there is a storytelling device that I think borders on being overused nowadays, and that's the fourth wall break. Uh, Fleabag regularly will turn to the camera and comment on whatever's going on. But the usage of that, the usage of that as a narrative device of Fleabag allowing us into her brain and being vulnerable with us, the viewer, while not allowing that same vulnerability with the people that surround her, does a great job in communicating how closed off and how guarded she is to the people in her life. And when the... 
cracks start to show start to form in that it's chilling and it's so cool and it got me hyped every single time it happened um it doesn't happen until later but you will start to see um that four wall fourth wall break might not be as private as uh as it starts out as but i i mean i just i loved it i love the writing i love the characters i love the performances i love the setting um a guinea pig cafe what more is there to say? Uh, I absolutely adored this. My fiance and I loved every minute of it, and we were talking about it for days after we finished it. Um, we were, as I'm recording this, we wrapped it up probably about four or five days ago, and we're still talking about it. We're And a show hasn't affected us like that since probably like Ted Lasso, which in its third season continues to be the king of television for me. But this one absolutely gave it a run for its money. And Fleabag is must watch for me. And it should be must watch for you. If you've seen it, watch it again. I want to have a discussion with you about it. If you haven't seen it, watch it immediately so we can talk about it because I want to talk more about this show. Uh, but that does it for this. If I had to give it an arbitrary rating, I got to give it five flea bags out of five, five fourth wall breaks out of five. I, I loved this show. It is probably maybe in the top 10 or 15 shows ever for me. Um, I, I loved it. I absolutely loved it, but that's going to do it for this wildcard weekly review. We will return Back to your regularly scheduled programming next week with the latest episode of Season 9 of The Flash. So stay tuned for that next week. But for now, let's roll right on into this week's Comics Countdown. Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown for the week of April 26th, 2023. This is the segment of our show where I'll chat you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week, whether it's at your local comic book shop on Comixology, or however you pick up your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's books, we gotta take a look back at last week's books with the Geeks Plane Pick of the Week of last week. And it was DC's Tour of Undead Gods, number eight. I did not expect this to be the pick. Uh, written by Tom Taylor, art by Trevor Harrison, closing out the deceased saga. Um, it was bittersweet. It was beautiful. It broke my heart. And it was the perfect button on that story. Absolutely adored it. Such a great comic but that is last week's books. This week, I've got 10 books for you to check out. So let's go ahead and dig into this list. Kicking things off with Sins of Sinister Dominion number one. This is written by Kieran Gillen with art by Lucas Wernick and Paco Medina. This is concluding the Sins of Sinister story. I'm not sure what exactly is going to happen here, but I can't wait to find out. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Seven trillion deadly sins. A thousand years of hell and damnation comes to an end with the loudest scream in history. And for the truly guilty, there is no escape. Can the future change the present, or will we just make all the same mistakes again? Either way, the present will have to live with the future's sins. So it's interesting, because as... 
we are recording this, I do not know exactly what ramification Sins of Sinister is going to have on the main continuity, the main timeline of Marvel. Uh, I think it's pretty... I think it's pretty obvious, at least to me, that things are going to snap back and we are going to be right back where we were at the beginning of this uh, in the mainline continuity with this having been more or less just a really bad dream. But this is promising to have some ramifications and I can't wait to see what those ramifications are. Next up, we have Strange Academy Finals number six. This is written by Scotty Young with art by Umberto Ramos. I love this series. I really do. I am not sure exactly where they're going with this or how this is all going to wrap up, but I can't wait to find out. Let's dig into the synopsis. The end of an era. The conclusion to the story that will change the face of magic is here. So much has happened in the last few issues. We don't dare spoil it great synopsis great synopsis i'm sad that this is it i don't know what the future holds for strange academy i'm hoping that we'll get another i guess season technically um with new characters but who knows i'm not sure exactly what the plan is but I'll be picking this up for sure. Next up, we have Wasp number four. This is written by Al Ewing with art by Kazia Nemetsik. I know I say that wrong every time, and I'm so sorry. But this is the end of the Wasp mini celebrating 60 years of the Winged Avenger. And I really enjoyed the first three issues. I've been loving this look and celebration of Van Dyne Amania. And I'm really excited to pick up this conclusion. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Just when it seems like Janet and Nadia Van Dyne might lose a mental and physical battle against the creature from Cosmos, an unlikely ally returns to remind them where real strength comes from. With enemies old and new aligned against them, Janet and Nadia must tap into the best parts of themselves to win and to define the true legacy of the Wasp. Yeah, enough said. Next up, we have the Sandman Universe, The Dead Boy Detectives, number five, written by Pornsock Pachette Shote, art by Jeff Stokely. This book rules. I've been talking about it since the first issue came out, and it's just so freaking good. If you're a fan of horror, if you're a fan of detective stories, this is the comic for you. And it's supernatural ghosts and Thai horror, and it's so wonderful. And if you aren't familiar with Thai horror, like I wasn't before the book started, it is gruesome, it is terrifying, and it is wonderful. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. A break in the case comes at a deadly cost, but there's little time to mourn when a far more dangerous foe waits in the wings. Edwin and Charles find themselves face to face with Thessaly the Witch, and she's hungry to do what she does best, exact revenge on those who have crossed her. Yeah, it's wonderful supernatural horror detective storytelling, and I love it, love it, love it so much. Next up, we have Daredevil number 10. This is written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Marco Cicchetto, and this book rules. Uh, we are very quickly heading into the final act of this. And I don't think just the uh, the current arc, but of the zdarsky Cicchetto run on Daredevil. I don't know what 
is supposed to wrap this all up. It's very, uh, it's curious to me. We're deep, deep, deep in the war between uh, Matt Murdock and Frank Castle, the hand versus the fist. And I can't wait to see how it all wraps up. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. A turning point. With Electra at his side, Matt Murdock has launched his most ambitious campaign against injustice ever. But as recent explosive and destructive events have unfolded, he has found himself more and more isolated and with fewer allies than ever before. That is concerning! Let me tell you, I am very worried about this, but I can't wait to read it. Next up, we have Tim Drake Robin number eight. This is written by Megan Fitzmartin with art by Nicola Semestia. I love this book. I am very sad that we are nearing the end of this run. I believe there are only 10 issues in all, so we've only got two more issues after this. But I am enjoying the ride while there is still enjoyment to be had. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Who's ready for a bat team-up for the ages? Batwoman shows up at the Gotham Arena with a mystery only the world's best Robin could solve. Together, Robin and Batwoman will help each other or die trying. Ah, I'm so excited. Can't wait to pick this up. I'm really excited for Megan to dig into Kate. Uh, that could be a really, really fun fun look at that character and teaming up these two characters with them kind of I guess being the preeminent queer bat family members it's just it's a recipe for really cool storytelling so I'm excited next up we have Doctor Strange number two this is written by Jed McKay art by Pascal Ferry and it brings me no pleasure to tell you how good that first issue was I have been saying for a while now since strange ended that this book didn't need to happen we could have kept clea strange on as the sorcerer supreme and just let steven rest but i loved that first issue y'all i really really did and i'm glad that clea is still the she's still in the driver's seat of this book what is going to happen next is because of Clea, and I love that she still has ownership over the narrative. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis and see what we've got in store for us. An unending sleeping sickness has struck the children of Bleecker Street. There can only be one culprit behind this attack. It's up to Doctor Strange and Clea to travel into the dream dimension to confront their old foe nightmare. But all is not what they seem, and what they discover will shock them. Oh, really excited. Sounds really cool. Can't wait to read it. Next up, we have Action Comics number 1054. This is written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, Dorado Quick, and Dan Jurgens, with art by Max Rayner, Yasmin Flores Montanez. And I love this book. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. This book, okay, is giving you a great catch-all if you are a fan of superman you don't want to pick up a bunch of different books this has three stories in it right you have the main story featuring the super fam superman dealing with metallo and all the nonsense that comes with that you have lois and clark 2 which is the sequel to the lois and clark book prayer prior prayer 
prior to the Rebirth run, which I adore, and I loved that miniseries. And then now you have Steel, which is the backup focusing on Henry and Natasha Irons. I'm really excited. Let's dig into the synopsis. Power Like This slash Steel Forged Part 1 slash Lois and Clark. As Superman and Natasha Irons race to save Steel from the newly transformed Metallo, the Super Twins are lost and alone against the nightmarish threat of the Necrohive. How will Lois and the House of L find them? Plus, learn the shocking identity of the mysterious ghost in the machine behind Metallo's transformation, as he and Superman face each other in an epic rematch for the ages. Plus, a new era for John Henry Irons begins in Steel Forged Part 1 and Dan Jurgens explores the not-too-distant past world of Lois and Clark 2 in a bold new interlude. Yeah, Superman books are eating well right now. I love them all, and you should definitely pick this up. Next up, we have Captain America, Symbol of Truth, number 12. This is written by Tochi Onyabuchi with art by R.B. Silva. This is chapter two of Cold War. Uh, really, really dug the first Part, and I am so excited to continue on with this. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Cold War Part 2 White Wolf has used the power granted him by Bucky Barnes to take control of Dimension Z and unleash its creatures onto the Captain's America. Sam Wilson and Steve Rogers are prepared to fight their way through the onslaught, but the Outer Circle has more stakes in this fight than our heroes realize. Can Sam Wilson and Steve Rogers agree on their priorities before they fall into this new threat? And what exactly does Bucky Barnes intend to do to Ian Rogers? Yeah! Really freaking excited about this. I love that this feels big time. I love that this feels blockbuster. All your favorite heroes are here in the two Captain America books, and things are gonna go wrong before they go right, and I'm really excited. But the big book of the week, the book I think you should absolutely be picking up, is Green Arrow number one. This is written by Joshua Williamson with art by Shawnee Zakse. I am so stoked for this book. Green Arrow has not had a solo title since Rebirth, and it has been a long time before the Emerald Archer has had a book to himself. And it's going to be a Green Arrow family book. We're getting Connor. We're getting Roy. We're getting Dinah. I cannot wait. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Reunion. Part 1. The Emerald Archer is lost, and it will take Oliver Queen's whole family to find him. But dangerous forces are determined to keep them apart at any cost. Spinning out of Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths, Green Arrow by DC architect Joshua Williamson and artist Sean Izakse is an action-packed adventure across the DCU that sets the stage for major stories in 2023. So Williamson is pulling double duty here. He's Absolutely crushing it alongside Jamal Campbell on Superman, and now he's tackling Green Arrow with Shawnee Zakse. Uh, I loved what they did with Ollie in in Dark Crisis or Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths, uh, but that means that he is either dead or lost in the multiverse. So I'm not sure what this book is going to be about, besides obviously the hunt and search for Oliver Queen. But I can't wait to jump in and join in the search for our favorite. Archer. But that's going to do it for this week's Comics Countdown. To recap, 
we've got Sins of Sinister, Dominion number one, Strange Academy Finals number six, Wasp number four, The Sandman Universe, The Dead Boy Detectives number five, Daredevil number 10, Tim Drake Robin number eight, Doctor Strange number two, Action Comics number 1054, Captain America Symbol of Truth number 12, and Green Arrow number one. This week is going to kick off the search for Oliver Queen, but the search for good comic books ends at your local comic book shop. And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us on the Geeksplain podcast and you like what I do here, feel free to subscribe to the podcast on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. We drop new episodes every single Wednesday, and honestly, ratings, reviews, and subscriptions really do help me and the podcast out in this weird podcasting algorithm space. Raises up our stock and gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you. And if you give us a five-star rating and review on Apple podcasts, iTunes, whatever you want to call it, I will read your review here live on the podcast. You can write literally anything you want, and we have seen that being used against me. I will be forced to read it, unfortunately, as long as you give me those five stars, the sky's the limit on what you can write. And you'll be able to join the likes of our amazing Fantasy 15, including Seafire ND, Joshua Panels to Pixels, Matt Draper, Burrito Man 88, Doug from For Every Kind of Geek, Don Swanson, That Guy Brian, Mouth Dork, Dallas Meeks, Amazing Spider Fan, A Lock and AZ, Sass, Jedi Jesse 20, Ken4656, and Director Hall. I want to say a huge thank you to these fine folks for their reviews, and I cannot wait to hear yours. If you want to be part of the Geeksplained mailbag, send your emails to geeksplained at gmail.com. Put mailbag in the subject header, and I will read it here on the Wednesday show. If you'd like to follow us, keep up to date on any announcements, participate in polls that decide future episodes, or maybe you just want to shoot the shit with me on the latest geeky news, and trust me, there is a ton of it, feel free to follow us on at Pod on Twitter for as long as it's around, and Instagram as I continue to endeavor to try and get better at it. That's at Geeksplained, P-O-D. Feel free to follow us there. We love interacting with you all. And finally, this Friday and every Friday is the Geeksplained Book Club, where I, alongside my amazing friends Malcolm Russell Nelson and Jacob Brown, are currently going through every single issue of every single volume of Grant Morrison's Batman. This week, we are tackling the first chapter of Batman Incorporated! Batman has turned the idea of the Dark Knight into a global empire. What could go wrong? So join us this Friday for that episode, and join us every Friday for the Geek Explained Book Club. Gotham Fridays are a real thing, so be there or be square, not a circle. But that's going to do it for this week. I want to say once again a huge thank you to the Hive Mind, Jackson Lansing, and Colin Kelly for joining us and taking the time out for this little podcast to do a really fun and informative interview. I hope you gleaned some beads of knowledge from it. I know we learned a ton. I will never be able to listen to the Black Eyed Peas or Rage Against the Machine the same way ever again but i hope you enjoyed the interview and i hope you've been enjoying volume six so far because next week is our 250th episode 250 episodes of the geek Explain podcast and what better way to celebrate the geek Explain podcast than to kick off 
X May. That's right! Volume 3 of X May is here and it kicks off next week with a very special episode to ring in 250 episodes of this podcast. So tune in for that next week, same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for the Geek Explained podcast, I've been Eric Kazana. Thank you so much for listening and we will see you next time. Oh my god, I'm gonna throw up. That was amazing. Holy fuck. Holy fuck. Holy shit.